Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Nobody should be working a full-time job and not be able to make ends meet. That is why I support the fight for 15 minimum wage increase in San Diego. And we will not stop until 15 is the minimum. You talk to people, you talk to your family, you talk to your friends, you talk to anybody and everybody because that's what's going to make the difference because they're not hearing it because the media is not going to tell them. So it's our responsibility to do that for them. We are down in San Diego for Comic-Con. Well, I'm down in San Diego for Comic-Con, but I wanted to make sure while I was down here to uh, interview Jose Caballero. Did I say that That's correctly? right. <laughs> <laughs> Who was running in the 53rd District. Um, you're challenging from the left. That's right. Uh, Susan Davis. That's who correct. is an incumbent, I think, for 10 years now? No, 19. Holy moly. Yeah. So she's running for her 11th term in Congress right now. Wow. Okay. So I didn't realize she'd been there that long. I knew she'd been there for a while. So, uh, what are, let's talk about that first. What are some of the major differences that you have, uh, with Susan? Well, I think the big notable ones would be, I support Medicare for all. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't support education for all or student loan debt cancellation. Um, and she has, she isn't really a strong policymaker. Uh, she's only passed two bills since she's been in Congress. One was renaming a post office and the other was, uh, expanding purple heart recipient benefits to their grandchildren. Uh, so, okay. so it, it, it's great that she did that, but really she's not aggressive on any policy issues. And she just recently shifted to the Green New Deal, but that's after six months of protests from the Sunrise Movement in 350, right. as well as me jumping in the race. And I think exactly. that's what shoved her to the Green New Deal side. Well, so, yeah, so you're pushing her left. Now, she, uh, I think she probably counted on having a Republican challenger, but not a primary challenger, because she has never had in all these terms, right? She's just been name recognition, runs, nobody else challenges sort of a situation. Do you find yourself, um, do you think it's like a similar situation to what AOC faced in uh, New York? Like she faced somebody that had never been challenged, was able to come out and nobody thought that she'd be able to win. Do you feel like there's some crossover sort of? Absolutely. I think, I think a lot of the main crossover points is that uh, Crowley wasn't really involved in the district. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so Davis really isn't involved in the district too much. Uh, she's been there, been there forever. She, like you said, she hasn't had any real challenge. Yeah. Um, so I think when, when, when I talk to voters, because when you watch knocking down the ha knock down the house on Netflix. If I was a rational person, I would have dropped out of this race a long time ago. <laughs> Crowley hasn't had a primary challenger in 14 years. He's taken $3 million per cycle. He's gonna tell me I'm small, that I'm young, that I'm inexperienced. My mom cleaned houses growing up. I never really saw myself going into politics. 
Americans aren't asking for a lot. They're just asking for politicians to help them get by. I can do this. I know you can. Left wings, I was a broken thing. Had a voice, had a voice, but I could not sing. We're doing something very controversial. People say, how dare you mount a challenge to someone who's so established. So it's not just our family. It's 30,000 families a year losing loved ones because they don't have insurance. I was not trying to become an activist. I live six minutes from Ferguson. Being a woman of color, our image is scrutinized. People in my district, this is how we look. I come from a long line of coal miners. We've been collateral damage. They underestimate us. I'm running because everyday Americans deserve to be represented by everyday Americans. I'm not going to allow my daughter to have died for nothing. The problems that we have in our district, we ourselves can fix. I get scared of the cynicism from people really believing in something and then it not working out. I just don't want to let them down. You have to be fearless, but they're going to come after you. Nobody owns you yet. No matter what the outcome, it will never be the same. We're going to fight for each other. Some of us have got to get yeah. through. It's about the whole movement. For one of us to make it through, a hundred of us have to try. Yeah. You see <laughs> AOC talking to voters, and um, when you look at that, you see these voters were like, oh, yeah, he's been there forever, but, you know, we need new blood, we need change. And right. AOC was having these very short, rapid-fire conversations with people in the community uh, saying, I'm for this, I'm for that, right. and Crowley isn't here. And yeah. so so, so that's what I'm having as well. So when I go to a voter and I'm like, I'm Medicare for all, education for all, student loan debt forgiveness, the Heroes Promise, which is the Military Veteran Bill of Rights, people are like, oh, yeah, or, or I'll have a conversation with a donor. And a donor would be like, oh, you're running against Susan because she hasn't done anything, right? And and so so there's a lot of that. And then there's also the other side of the coin that AOC faced. It's like, oh, how are you going to beat an incumbent? How yeah. are you going to beat this machine? Right. Um, so so there is a lot of overlap there. Um, I will tell you a little personal story. So when I was an uh, intern for Congressman Susan Davis in 2013. Oh, Capitol, you were her intern? Oh, that's yeah. fresh information. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so in 2013, I was a political intern at, okay. in, in the summer of 2013. Um, and I talked to her chief of staff and I was like, yeah. you know, how, how does Susan Davis win every election? And mind you, I was just in college. I had right. no aspirations of challenging her at that right. moment. And she said, oh, we just make sure nobody good runs against her. And and, and I took note of that. I took yeah. note of that. Um, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay. So, and it's true. So when you look at the last election cycle in 2018, you have you had a clown car of Republicans, no right. Democrats, and an independent. And I think two independents that were running against her. It was, it was a long, long um there was a lot of people on that ballot. And right. Megan Mordaugh, who I call kind of like a, a B-list Tommy Lahren, <laughs> 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 uh, she got 35,000 votes and got through the primary. And, and, Interesting. But, and, and it was like one of those things where in the general, she got completely smashed. Uh, Susan got 69% right. of the vote. So what that tell, told me was like mm -hmm. it's a 19-plus district. Yeah. And there's no way a Republican can win here. 
So why don't we just have a jungle primary against the two Democrats and fight on policy? Right. So, you know, I know that that's become the common term, jungle primary. I actually, uh, I feel it's a little misleading, even though we all use it. And I think the reason is because I like the fact we have a semi-open primary system. I think it allows for greater democracy. And um, I feel like sometimes the party system is a little bit threatened by that simply because you can have Green Party, independence, whatever. But you can also see Republicans voting for Democrats and Democrats voting for Republicans because they're going to pick whoever they want to pick, right? Um, and I think they find that really threatening. Do you think that that's true? I do. I do think that's true um, because now people have a lot more courage challenging the Democrat. For, yeah. for, for, for example, if it was a closed primary here in California, it would be very unlikely for me to be able to get into a general race because she has so much name recognition. I have to build a giant war chest. Exactly. And, and it would probably take a couple of chance, uh, times, times yeah, to, to name to, recognition built up. Exactly. Yeah. But now knowing that, well, she's probably going to get either first or second, um, right. hopefully second. But uh, <laughs> but that's very optimistic of me to say. But I, I will say that because of that, voters are more confident right. to vote, like you said, for their for their person. And since this is such a heavily Democrat district, the chances of there being enough Democrats to get two Democrats through are very high. Very, right. very high. So some of the adjacent districts are actually very Republican. Uh, yes. But I don't... You know, we got a war criminal next door. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. We can talk about him yeah. in a second. Yeah. He's a hot mess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What I find interesting, though, is we now have this independent panel that, that does the gerrymandering in the state. And I most of the districts really aren't party gerrymandered. Does that make sense? So why do you think it is that we still have some areas that are heavily one or the other? Do you think the state is just, for the most part, entirely Democratic in the sense that even though uh, there's a two-party system, there's really it's become a one-party system minus these one little pockets mm-hmm. here and there, like the adjacent district to you. But I feel that... Uh, a lot of conservatives, a lot of conservative Democrats, they could very well be traditional GOP voters, the way they, the policies that they support, the things that they want. So how, how do you think that that happened in the state? Well, I think it's been a demographic shift, mainly. If you look at California 20 years ago, especially San yeah. Diego and like Southern California in general, um, it's very red. Like if you look at Anaheim. Yeah, San, San Diego was way more red. Right, so was exactly. County, but some of these Democrats yeah. that are winning in these districts are very conservative. Yeah, Democrats, they are. They're, yeah, of course. You so, know, yeah. I, <laughs> like, I, I do not. Yeah, I, I so agree with you. So why is the you. GOP so tainted in the state is what I'm wondering. Because I don't think there's been a policy shift per se. Right. I think those conservative voters are still conservative. Conservative, but they're just voting for, for a conservative Democrat versus an actual GOP member. It's like the party is just, I think the GOP you, is just like so tainted. It is. And especially in California, it's embarrassing yeah. to be Republican. Right. Uh, so yeah. why, why, well, how did we get there? Um, I, I think first, I mean, we can, we can thank the man in the White House. I think he's really energized a lot of people, um, a lot of yeah. Democrats that don't normally vote. Yeah. A lot of Californians who who thought, well, my vote really doesn't matter. It's already a blue state. I think they're actually going to vote now instead of just staying home and just letting their neighbors vote for them. Um, oh, I think, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, and then you, and then, like I said, the demographic shift, you have more young people voting now right. than we ever have. And I always, when I was in college, I used to call something called generational lag, which is a, which is a mm-hmm. term that I use, which is that it, we have a gap between 18-year-olds and 25-year-olds 
that that don't normally vote very often but right. now those 18 25 year olds from 10 years ago are now in their 30s right so now they're voting and and so right. so they're voting in a heavy clip now and then you have the aging population they're not voting as much for for illness or for for death or for a lot of different reasons so the demographic shift i think has really caused this earthquake that just kind of just just took the table for Democrats um, and because there was an old guard of Republicans that were keeping everything really Yeah, purple. so um, let me ask you this. I don't disagree with that necessarily, but I also think that people believe that millennial voters are, a big chunk of them are quite progressive. Yes. And I think that I like the fact that a lot of your generation doesn't, you're not offended by the word socialism. Right. You're open to new ideas. Um, you obviously clearly support Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. uh, more than any other candidate. But at the same time, there there is a chunk of millennials that are quite conservative. Absolutely. Um, this is the generation that's also given birth to the Proud Boys mm -hmm. uh, and some of these other groups. One, two, three, go. This is part of what it takes to become a member of a group that calls itself Proud Boys. Getting punched by a group of guys while naming breakfast cereals to join the self-professed Western chauvinist multiracial fraternal organization started in the U.S. last year. Journalist Will Summer has been monitoring the group for months. They say it's about providing men with, uh, you know, fraternity and bonding and that sort of thing. Uh, but sort of in practice, a lot of things they do uh, include sort of getting in brawls with uh, left-wing protesters. In Halifax on Saturday, five members of the Proud Boys, also members of the Canadian Armed Forces, disrupted an Indigenous protest on Canada Day. This is Canada. You, it might have been. It might have been McMuck. So you don't have Canadian ID. You don't uh, pay your taxes. You don't have a Medicare card. This is not an argument. The men were suspended, and the military apologized for their behavior. The Proud Boys Canadian founder, Gavin McGuinness, launched a petition against that decision. He says the men heard about an anti-Canada Day protest and simply showed up to question it. And then they politely walk off. That's it. And now these guys are, are going to lose their livelihoods because that's somehow racist? McInnes denies his group is racist and likens it to the Knights of Columbus and the Shriners. McInnes himself is a well-known, provocative right-wing commentator. He's been called out as anti-Semitic, and he's posted a video listing 10 things he hates about Jews. Maxime Fissette is a former white supremacist now working for Montreal's anti-radicalization centre. He calls the Proud Boys a fringe group without a clear purpose. Every time they do something, uh, you know, slightly stupid or even blatantly racist, they don't always do it for a bigger purpose. Sometimes it's just to bother people and, you know, to, to make the media speak about them. But some observers say there's something more sinister behind the group than its frat boy antics. Rhetoric against uh, multiculturalism, against immigration, uh, against uh, big government, uh, and uh, against globalization as well. Um, and so you see them, you know, attempting to defend what they define as Western civilization, which is really, as they see it, through a, a, a white, um, not, not so much Christian, I think, in this group, but a white male perspective. She says the group is part of a wider movement emboldened by the rise of the extreme right in the U.S. Alison North. Caught CBC News, Montreal. I think a lot of that is that um, when I talk to a lot of um, uh, conservative millennials or, or people around my age group, 
lot of them don't even live here in California anymore. A lot of them mm. moved. They either moved to Texas. They they've moved to different Portland, states. Oregon. Yeah, yeah, right. They <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm sure there's a few. <laughs> exactly. Um, but Portland. but 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 they but they 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 really <laughs> left. A lot of it is uh, unfortunately because cost of living. That that's very unfortunate here in this this area. I mean, I've even faced that specter yeah. of like, can I even afford to live here? Um, so, oh yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's mean. really really bad. And so we have a kind of an exodus of like conservatives uh, that are young that are leaving because they don't want to be around all these liberals all the time and yeah, yeah and, no, it, it, right. it, 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 and it's frustrating when it I is. when I go but now I think it's it's kind of thinned out and now we have like I hate to say it but people are more community driven and they all kind of have the same ideas and we're all moving forward in the same direction and, mm-hmm. and it's refreshing I mean this district I would even say six years ago would probably be an impossibility for me for a candidate like me to get in. Really? But yeah. But now, as things shifted, as people have come in, like as, as in fact, uh, the area where I live in the North Park area, um, it is the highest concentration of twenty five to thirty five year olds in the entire county. Is UCSD in your district? Well, UCSD is north, but San Diego State. Oh, San Diego State. Yes, right, okay. is in my district, which which I did go to school. So, okay. yeah. So that's part of it. I that's guess. part of it, too. And you you have the college area, you have Hillcrest, South Parks, North Park. I don't know. I'm just naming neighborhoods that are in my district. Right. But, but well, those... these are all areas that are north of the downtown area. Yes, exactly. And Hillcrest is adjacent to the gas lamp where yeah. all the crazy Comic-Con parties are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so, so <coughs> when you when you look at those districts, those districts have changed fundamentally. Yeah. They've gotten a lot younger. Um, and relatively recently. Yes, exactly. Is a, a, it, it, is re- it is recent. Like you, you drive down North Park, you know, six years ago and I hate... I hate gentrification, and and there's so many people who who I've I've talked to who's like, oh yeah, North Park, that's up and coming, which is like code for <laughs> code for gentrification, which yeah. I don't I don't like, but the the it has become more of an economic center in the city, and and yeah, a lot I of young think people. The problem are doing with that. gentrification is isn't it isn't that there's economic improvements or that there's uh, people that are fixing up houses like this stuff. The problem is it pushes out when it's done improperly, yes. it pushes out the poor folks or the people that have lived there for decades, can no longer afford rent, whatever. There's a way for a city to engage in the cleanup of an area. Absolutely. Per se, Absolutely. Without doing that. And exactly. that's, that hasn't been what's happening. I think part of the problem, um, not to harp on this, but I harp on this a lot, is as Costa Hawkins has been devastating. Oh, absolutely. The state. Absolutely. It was. That's I would, been one of the biggest drivers, right? Absolutely. And I would say that probably one of the biggest heartbreaks on the ballot in oh. California was Prop 10. Uh, and losing that ability to do so. Um, I, I will even say there, so me and my fiance are trying to find a new place to, to move right now. We're trying yeah. to expand the house since we have our little one. And uh, we were like looking at apartments of this new development in North Park off, you know, off of Main Thoroughfare and it, nothing fancy. It's not like bougie right. uh, area, yeah. but we were looking at the apartments and it's unbelievable. A one bedroom, 710 square foot oh God, place for it. is about $3,500 in, in, in an area where mainly 30 year olds live, right? Which is insane. That is insane. And you're looking at two bedrooms that go up into the four, four, 4,000 range. And, and you're just like, this is not even That's real. Crazy. It's not real life. That- no, it's not real life. I mean, and you know, 
we've had the conversations about fight for 15 and raising the minimum wage to 15 is not even close to no, being enough. No, not, not with the way the developers. I mean, what happened developed? to fight for 30 or something? Yeah. I mean, this is like, uh, and, 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 and it, it and we have to fight for 30 because the cost of living has gotten so insane. I was it's talk- insane. I was talking to a There's voter. a real disconnect. I was talking to a voter yesterday at uh, the park where we we were. We Balboa were, Park? Uh, no, we were actually in North Park. Uh, oh, the no. the, oh, the okay. park of North Park. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's one of my son's favorite parks because it got a lot of playground yeah. equipment there. Oh, nice. And I was talking to a voter there and he was just talking about how he, he has a family and he, he said it's a two bedroom, but it's a crawl space and he's paying sixteen fifty a month and he says it's a major miracle just to so, pay the rent yeah that's much cheaper you than know the other and he was he was telling me like you know yeah. it's such a small place that he's had storage units and because times get tough he's lost those storage units so you're talking about losing you know family photos documents and all these things and they're losing it because the spaces that they're living are so small that you have to have to actually put a storage unit off to the side and now you have to pay for that to keep your stuff right. secure right. as well as trying to have a place to sleep and it's so these prices just go up and up and up and these and it's 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 a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare and that's why a lot of the young people are leaving and a lot of the older generation are leaving too so so we're becoming well, yeah i mean the income inequality in the states horrendous yes absolutely. to say the least but this is this isn't solely the case here in California. This is happening across the board. That's right. And it really, it's a little bit frightful because the, it's just an untenable situation in the sense that in the very least, you think these folks would realize, well, if these, if, if we don't pay our workers enough money in order for them to pay for rent, food, and have any sort of expendable income, right. that eventually collapses our entire economy. Absolutely. I mean, if there's nobody to sell the widgets to, the producers make widgets and they just sit there and then they get, yeah. you know... The blowback from that. So I don't know. In the very least, you think they would have enough forward thinking right, to exactly. realize. And it doesn't matter. They how, don't. It doesn't matter how cheap the widget is. Exactly. If you can't afford to even buy exactly. food, how are you even going to buy the widget? Even right. Not, you, no, I mean, and 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 it's like this: the myth of trickle down e- uh, economics. Totally, yeah. Right. It just it just it just permeates our entire American lives in every corner of our country. Yeah. My name is Evan Kirkpatrick. I'm the founder and CEO of Wendell Charles Financial and a contributor to Forbes. And the truth about trickle-down economics is it doesn't work. Trickle-down economics is the idea that uh, cutting tax rates for the wealthiest individuals and businesses as well as capital gains tax results in a higher economic output. But they're not spending, they're either saving, they're investing, which is, that's good, but it's not directly benefiting the middle class and the lowest income individuals like we thought it would. The data is showing that not only is the gap widening between the rich and the poor, but that it's happening at a very accelerated rate. This just isn't good for society. You know, after analyzing the relationship between tax rates and economic growth since 1945, there's no correlation between lowering tax brackets and increased economic activity. If you give wealthy people a tax break, they're still only spending 30% of the income that they're bringing in. If you give working class people money, they're spending 98%, and poor people are spending 100%. So what we really need is the poor and middle class to have more money in their pockets because that's what's driving the economy forward. I'm Evan Kirkpatrick, and the truth is trickle-down economics don't work. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. You know, and it, it, What's amazing to me, though, at this point is that there's still so many Americans that are that will argue this point. And I'm like, you're literally serving the platonomy right now and you don't even 
mm-hmm. realize it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, Think about it. Yeah, it, it, it is It is a complete disaster. And, and if we do not make dramatic change right. and like now, like this election cycle, then I don't know where this country is going to be. And it's a very a terrible, terrible thing to think about because places like San Diego, where things are just buzz, just going, eventually there's going to be a breaking point, like you said, yeah. and everything's just going to collapse yeah. on itself. And then everybody's going to be like, what happened? And then all we're going to have left are these empty, giant condominium complexes that are way yeah. overpriced and overbloated. And, and, yeah. and that's, that's what, that's what's going to happen if we continue to go down this path. That's yeah. Why. Just, I've yeah. seen even in the last 10 years, um, just coming down to comic-con like there used to be that whole section on the on well if you're standing out, out front yeah. on the right there there was there were no buildings there and now there's just high-rise after high-rise Absolutely. after high-rise and they are still building more and then those high-rises um used to be the i guess the impoverished area of, yeah, of downtown there used to be um subsidized housing there, oh yes section absolutely. housing and it's i don't know where that went to um it went to developers those developers <laughs> came in bought the land and instead of instead of using that money for shelters and you know to, to, to deal with our ho- homeless crisis here in san diego they sold it to the highest built bidder yeah. and then put unaffordable condominium complexes in those areas pushing out and creating a diaspora of the homeless community out into the rest of the parts of San Diego. So now where there weren't weren't homeless individuals before are are there in canyons? They're they're yeah, they're tent they're, they're tent cities and those tent cities and we're in a climate crisis. So those tent cities are very very dangerous for for fire hazards because oh God, you know yeah. you know somebody has a bottle that catches fire and it, it, it just it just it's happened. The first the first fire in like I think 2016 was created by a homeless encampment. This is this has just become a huge crisis. So now people in neighborhoods are 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 starting to raise the warning and like, hey, there are like a lot of I'm I'm afraid to take my kids to school. Now they shouldn't be afraid to take their kids to school because homeless people aren't dangerous for no, the most right, part. Right. But when you have a higher population of home of the, the homeless um, population, then you do have a um, I guess the bell curve increases. So you oh, have yeah, more people course. who are there's gonna be more crime. There's gonna be more crime yeah. and things like that. But a lot of these people are down on their luck and have nowhere yeah, else to no, go because all the home. All this is a service. failure of our state. Uh, you know, you've got a couple of things that happened here. We got rid of, we have no mental health facilities. Right. We don't take care of our mentally ill in right. the state, no. which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got somebody that is entirely un- unemployable because of whatever mental illnesses they have, this, where, do, where are they supposed to go? Oh, absolutely. This, I, it's, yeah. I agree. And, you know, one of the things that I want to do in Congress, because when you're talking about lo- hyper-local issues like, yeah. you know, uh, housing and, and homelessness, you have to think on, um, on a, at the 3,000 foot level or 30,000 yeah. foot level. And and what would, what would Congress be able to do? Well, I say that Congress has the power of the purse. So it only takes... Uh, there have been two numbers that incited twenty to forty billion dollars to completely eradicate homelessness in in the country, and so that's what I would fight for. I would fight to actually create either either supplement HUD with the twenty forty billion dollars.
dollars mm-hmm. or just create an entirely new department which is there to be a task force right. to find our most vulnerable citizens in our society and put roofs over their head and kind of like a housing first model and 20 to 40 billion dollars is a drop in the bucket oh it's nothing you I know mean, we increase, def- look at the exactly. defense budget versus speaking of i know you're a veteran um i wanted to ask you then because I think we have a homeless problem with our veterans. Yes, it's one-fourth of the population. Is it one-fourth? Yes. Right. So I was um, talking with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they have veterans that have Section 8 housing vouchers, but there's no Section 8 housing. That's right. And and that is... This the, is crazy. There, that is the other problem, is that the affordable housing isn't being built because developers are buying these... Costa Hawkins. Yeah, yeah exactly. So We're back at square root. Well, yeah, one. exactly. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and again, again, with these hyper-local issues but i do support candidates locally okay. that are running in yeah. san diego that support vacancy taxes and and oh let's that's okay walk our audience through that i know exactly what you're talking about they've done this in vancouver and a couple yes, of other uh, large cities that's a great idea so for folks that don't know what a vacancy tax is can you explain yeah that a absolutely bit? so so a lot of these uh units that we have in san diego sit empty for two reasons one is the fact that they're unaffordable and they just sit empty because of the market. And two, uh, there's a lot of people who buy these homes yeah. that that aren't living here. They're you know they're using them for like one percent of the year when another San Diegan can actually use those those. Or the, yes, those these properties. are uh, hedge funds that have been. At least in LA, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to say. Yeah, here. absolutely. So, so what the vacancy tax would do is it would charge a premium for that empty space to those developers to actually sit and allow those places to be empty. Spread support, and a lot of people are saying, "Hey, if I have to spend 20 minutes every year filling in a form to help with our." our housing crisis situation, I'll gladly do it. They're willing to do it. So for those that do have to pay the tax, can you quickly once again just touch on how much that tax will be and how it's calculated? Yeah, so if you're Canadian, um, if you're a BC resident, you will have to pay 0.5% of the home's assessed value. But the first 400,000 pounds of that assessed value is exempt if you're a BC resident. If you're a Canadian outside of BC, you have to pay 0.5% on the full assessed value. And for foreign national who own homes here in BC, they have to pay 2%. Now, a lot of people get a little nervous about, oh my gosh, you're just going to go in and start policing empty spaces, but we're in a crisis. We're this in, is an we're emergency. We're serious, I agree. You I know, have no problem with this. Exactly. Look, and if people want to take that defense, I don't think they realize. what We're, we're realistically talking about a at least half of these houses yes. are, are owned by hedge funds. Absolutely. And it's speculations and it's a private investing groups. Or or out of the country. Or out like, of the country. Like all yes. the vacation Vancouver, rentals yeah. here, the vacation rentals here are people from Dubai, yeah, China. Yeah, exactly. Like, so these are folks that, believe me, they're not getting dinged by having to pay a vacancy tax. And I know in Vancouver, this really helped alleviate the problem because in order to avoid the tax, now these folks are dropping their rents. Exactly. So I think this is a really interesting and viable um, alternative to uh, if we can't get rid of Costa Hawkins, if we're really yeah. stuck with this, this isn't a bad route to go. Right, exactly. I think it could be, um, it could work. Yeah. I, I agree. And, 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 you know, it uses the magic of the American economy of like pushing. Right. You're sort of working with the capitalist. Exactly. <laughs> right. Which, which for me, it's like, it, 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 it is something that can be done quickly yeah. and it will be effective. You I, know? Yeah, I 100% agree yeah. with you on that. So that's an interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about Bernie Sanders for a moment because yes. I know you were one of his delegates yes. in 2016. You were, mm-hmm. you were there at the convention. That's right. 
Tell us some of the things that you saw that were disturbing. Oh, like wow. Party politics. Put me, put me back in 2016. Yeah, All right. Put you back All right. Just, for, just for a hot second. Okay, for sure. <laughs> um, what I saw was, um, oh, man, there was just a lot of division um, with, you know, people who would normally agree on things. Yeah. Um, I also saw a lot of misinformation being given to a lot of the delegates. So Intentionally? There, uh, it's kind of seemed that way, okay. or, or or maybe just ignorance. It might have just been pure ignorance and naivete. Um, so there was, a be- there was a huge difference between a Bernie delegate and a Hillary delegate yeah. in the, at the convention. So one of the things that... Um, what happened to me often was I would be, you know, no TPP, you know, we'd be chanting right. that. And I would have de- Hillary delegates coming up and being like, what's TPP? Oh, God. And Are these, you kidding me? No, I'm not. And, and, and I'm trying to explain to them that what TPP is the day that they voted for Hillary for nomination. Right. So so it's like one of those things where it was just infuriating to it see infuriating. who these people were. Now, I, I was uh, I had to stop a fight. I almost got into a fight. <laughs> uh, there was there were special privileges given the Hillary delegates. There mm-hmm. was a story where um, one of my one of my dear friends, uh, she was a, a Bernie delegate. And what she did one day as an experiment is that she put on uh, a pantsuit and she put on a Hillary button and to see if she would be, yeah. be treated differently. And even on the uh, even on the train, right? Uh, they didn't charge her a fare. And right behind her was another friend of mine who was wearing fully decked out Bernie. Yep. And they they stopped him and said, "Where's your fare?" So so they were giving free fares to Hillary people to get to the convention center versus what <sighs> the Bernie wild. people. Uh, there was a moment when I was we they pushed us all to the top. Now California was the raucous delegation. Yeah, no. yeah we were well, of course Oregon and Washington as but well. We, we had a few of our District Thirty Four uh, delegates involved in that. Yeah, absolutely right. It's great. It's great. Uh, so so there was a moment um, that the day that Hillary was supposed to give her you know her acceptance speech or the nomination, uh, they actually the Hillary delegates came in and just started taking seats from us. So if we got up, they just sit right. in our seat. No, right. So, in fact, one of our delegates, I don't know if you saw that um, viral video that went around. She was from our District 34. She was one of our delegates. Uh-huh. Hey, guys, this is Eden here. I finally got into uh, the convention. We're in the California section. Apparently, they've been letting everybody, all the other states in, and then they weren't letting in the California station. I'm going to turn around and let you see what it looked like when I got in. Uh, they said they when I got in, all these people were here, and they have already blocked off all of these sections where the Bernie Sanders supporters have been sitting, putting reserve signs on all of these seats where we can't sit. And if you look up here at this gray box, that is a white noise machine used to block out our chants and cheers. So share this video. The California Bernie Sanders delegates have been held outside their entrance for longer than every other state. And they've blocked off all of the seats with reserve signs for seat fillers or scabs. And they have placed a white noise machine above our section. Yeah, Susan, seat fillers. They're paying people 50 bucks a day to wear Hillary shirts and hold signs and come in here and sit down so there's no room for elected delegates. I have the California Democrats list of um, official, official elected delegates and Hillary and Bernie Sanders people with the names on them. And I can tell you that this section has not been full 
the section has not been full every day, and we come in and now they've blocked off all the main seats, um, and the Hillary people were standing um, outside, they were saying, what's the plan, what are the instructions, and they were saying the instructions are to save 10 seats, so they've already instructed the Hillary delegates in California when they get here to block off 10 seats. These are all the people who were in here when I just walked in, when I was told that seating hadn't begun yet. He's pulling off the reserve signs. Guys, please share this video. Please share this video under a public public status. Please share this video under public status. This is yours over here. Nobody sit right here. This is this is they reserved it, they got here. Alright? This is the lady who put the signs up. These people have been instructed they let to save in like two hours before us. They don't let us come in here on time, but they are here for more than two hours before. Yep. They are setting up all the stuff, yep. and we don't have no rights in here. Yep, they let seat fillers come in two hours before and block off entire rows. So I'm thinking that the answer might be, um, since these whips and security isn't helping, that we start screaming for Secret Service and explaining that non-credential people are on the floor. But she was videotaping them do that. and I, I think was, I talked to her. Yeah, and I was kind of pissed because I saw David Rue there. Like, yeah. these are people I... These are elected officials. I was like, wow, come on, man. Yeah, You're better than that. Absolutely. And and so, you know, there was a moment when there they were there were Hillary people there that I believe were there, were there to stoke stoke anger oh, and violence. Uh, there, was a, there was a Marine uh, delegate that I was hanging out with uh, one of the days. And, um, you know... Really, really, a guy who's been in combat, did 20 years, so he was a, he was really, you know, um, he did a lot for, for this country. And there was a Hillary delegate that was, uh, I guess a young guy, I guess in maybe his early 20s, and he said something so offensive and triggered my Marine wow. friend, wow. and what I had to do was literally jump in front of his punch, and I had to take a punch from a Marine, you know, right in the chest, and he was like, I did not mean to hit you, and and I was like, well, we can't let this be the news yeah. story, right? And, and and there was a moment when I had one of my seats being tried and taken from me, and I turned around, I'm like, really, man, you're like in my personal space, and he tries to like, you know, you know, try to man up, I guess, in the in, in the sense of the word. And his buddy was like, no, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So he pulls him off. And it was just so much tension, so much division, so much anger. Yeah. Um, nobody was happy. Um, and, and what about the noise machines? Oh, yeah. The white noise machines yeah. existed. I, you know, we had the Bernie delegate shirts that we had, which were like yellow. And so when they turned the lights off on us, we glue from the blue light. So nice. we kind of like hack the media. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, they had they had chants that they were ready. So when um, so when the first day happened, so when we say no more war, they were trained to say USA uh, to to drown out the no more war. And the white noise machine would take out the no more war, and then all you would hear would be USA for a warmonger that's on the stage. And we're right. just like we're not chanting. And this is not the GOP. This yeah, is the exactly. Party, let's be clear. You know when you have Pineda talking yeah. <clears throat> on the stage, you know, we have to yell no more war, right? Because we just cannot allow this type of demagoguery and in, in, right. in jingoism. Yeah. But yet the Democratic Party was chanting USA 
to drown out the chance of no more war by half of the party. It's just insane. And 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 that I think was probably one of the most heartbreaking things. Being a veteran. It's, yeah, it's horrifying on two levels. A, this is you know this is it was very eye opening for me. Twenty sixteen, I was not one hundred percent complacent. I knew there had been there were problems in the party. I you know I wasn't totally clueless, but I didn't realize how deep, how bad some of this DLC like this Clinton. The tentacles, how deep they really were until, I mean, and there were people that I've known for years Mm -hmm. that I've worked with in public policy things that all of a sudden I was like, wow, who are you? It's like there was a transformation. There was a transformation. I mean, I had like messages, like uh, emails, emails, conversations with folks that were like hardcore in the Clinton camp. And I didn't know that until 2016 where they got very heated with me. They're like, how can you support Bernie? I'm like, well, how can you not? Yeah. All of these years I've worked with you, I thought you were a progressive. Yeah, right. Well, Hillary, no, she's not a progressive. Yeah, that's right. Are you and, kidding me? And you're starting to see the echoes of that with Joe Biden now. Oh, um, God, yeah. You know, and and so so we have to really stand strong and keep to our message because yeah. we, as much as as much as it sucks, I believe we're wearing them down. We are, and I hate to keep relitigating this conversation, but I do think it's a proxy battle for what's going on internally in the Democratic right. Party for the heart and soul. I think um, I think it's real. And the fact that you still have people with still wither, still, I was, oh my God, I almost said still withering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still withering. I love that. Still with her in yeah. their damn yeah, yeah, and shit. Yeah, like, yeah, it's exactly. like, really? Yeah, yeah. It's like they're, they, they don't, they don't want to go through the last stage of grief, which is acceptance. Except, right. You know? And, and the reason Hillary Clinton lost that election was 100% on her. Absolutely. And, and, and I will say that that narrative, I think, with more people going through that stage grief and accepting what happened and knowing that yeah this is really right cool. I mean I think Peter Dow's a really good example I, I, of that. I, I, that, I, I'm enjoying woke Peter Dow he, he he gets the most changed person of the year award right you know. I find myself liking and retweeting yeah him. Like, whoa this yeah. is so wild that, that is wild and and I think and he had me blocked for a long time oh really oh, oh wow yeah. wow that's insane that you know that that you know we we're now communicating he's unblocked me and I was like no, I think it's and people are like still not wanting to trust. I think it's real. Well, I think well, it's genuine. Well, just to use uh, an example here in San Diego, yeah. um, when I when I ran for San Diego City Council in 2016, yeah, um, me and uh, the current chair of the county party were at odds with each other. We hated each other, even though we we're both brown Latino men, veterans, right? We 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 were just angry. Like I was a Bernie supporter. He was a Hillary supporter. We were going at each other's throats to the point of like super personal attacks. And it was, it was gross. But after we did the ADEM elections in 2017 and completely swept California, uh, he, we, him and I had a meeting and, or had a, had a, had a beer and he, (laughs) yeah, exactly. We had a beer because we trounced his slate. He was running for e-board and his entire ADEM slate, ADEM slate lost completely. The entire slate. The entire slate. We we swept the entire slate and we won 68% of the county of San Diego with our leadership. And uh, he he's like, first, I want to say you kicked our ass and that Bernie would have won. And Holy shit. So he actually said he that. He actually said that. So there are people like finally having that realization. Absolutely. I think Peter Dow actually said that the other week too. And I was like. And he realized how, how advantageous that was for his own political career because yeah. now he's the chair of the county party. Okay. Why? Because the San Diego Progressive Democratic Club, yeah. that, that that's existence allowed us to propel his candidacy for the chairship. Let's talk about that for a second. So, um, 
So there's various Democratic clubs that you can be a member of. And I don't know if uh, folks realize this. You should join them if you don't. If you're not on one now, join them. But only join one because it matters for their delegate count. Nice. So all the clubs get to provide delegates to the state party. So it's it's another way that we can infiltrate the state party system and try to push it to the left. Absolutely. So you're the founder of the San Diego uh, Progressive Democratic Club. Yes. So talk us a little, talk to me a little bit about clubs and why they're important. Absolutely. So a lot of people like we have about 56 clubs in San Diego. Wow, there's it, that many. It's a, it's it, we we really did open up the the process for for club charters here in this county. And the reason okay. why is because it's our grassroots uh, it's the it's the establishment grassroots I like to call it right <laughs> you know it's like no it's about that's pretty accurate yeah right because it, they're all part of the party we all like you said we get votes and things yeah. of that nature but when you become members of a charter democratic club in your party you have the opportunity of influencing their membership like you said right. when you bring up their membership numbers you get uh, pre endorsement caucus exactly. votes which uh, which means that the state level that's that that counts toward the state level endorsement process um, you get associate members for your actual county uh, mm -hmm. central committees which are also right. your local endorsement systems that that we deal with um, and and what you can do is you start influencing so in in um, the San Diego Progressive Democratic Club in its existence now we have a complete parade of candidates coming to our club asking for their for our support and so when right. you get become part of those clubs this is the chance for you to be influential and actually meet the candidates yep. and actually say hey where do you stand on this stuff and they're gonna they want your vote so they're gonna come absolutely they're gonna speak to the club they're gonna listen to what you have to say so i think it's really important and when you have a voting block like yeah. the san diego progressive democratic club or the democrats for equality right or the, uh, the san diego enviro dems the, those are the th big three in our in our county if you are a candidate receive all three of those endorsements that's great you're you're, you're probably going to either a definitely block the endorsement at a pre-endorsement caucus and or, i want to talk about that yeah absolutely too. or or b you're going to be able to influence the local endorsement yes. 100%. and and so so these candidates fight for those and what do they have to be they have to be progressive that's they have to right. be an environmentalist right. and they have to care about equality it, and and so when you look at those three major points that's when you're like oh that's why these clubs are important and then you have a diaspora of, of regional clubs so you have like vista democratic club you have you know oceanside you have right. all of these different clubs that are regional so yeah. that way the school boards the water boards and all of those can have a platform right. to be able to speak to to a group and that affects as well so so there's just so many benefits to being a part and a member of club and i and i always like to yeah. say this it's making your democratic party membership and putting it to work because, I agree. You know, and that because like so many people are Democrats or independents, but they don't use that for no, anything. No, I don't think they're aware of it. I think part of the problem. Well, I think they're becoming aware of it. And that's why we're Absolutely. Seeing, I think the reason we have such large turnouts this last ADEM cycle is because people are finally awake after the fact that these these sort of low level in inside party positions are actually really important. Absolutely. And they make it complicated on purpose. Of it's, course they it's, do. It's, you know, it's part of it because you you look at like a central committee election, right? right? Where you have, you know, six members in every assembly district running for your, for your right. local uh, central committees. 
most of the time, at least in the, in the past, this is going to be the first cycle of all of since the since the 2016 election where we're going to actually be voting for our central committee members um, in the presidential primary. Right. So we're going to have progressive slates across the state It'll of California change, and there is going to be an actual contested. So you're looking at I think right. New York had a story about this recently where there were people running for central committee that didn't even sign up to run for central committee. Uh, yeah, which is wild. insane. Right. Yeah. It's a definitely in the Queens district as well this is happening so so now which makes sense which makes sense right so but before when all the like six central committee members would only have like two people running against six to keep their power now we're probably gonna have 14 running which is important exactly you know a lot of the times the elected officials they they run aides or they run friends absolutely Absolutely. And, uh, it, which is really unfortunate. It's like, get your paws off of that yeah, stuff. Exactly. You, you know, it's, this isn't about you maintaining power. Yeah, and, and what we're going to see this primary election, if these slates win, and we're already setting them up, we're yeah. already getting slates together, we're going to start walking. This is going to be, and it's a public election ballot. We could see the most significant transformation of democratic mm-hmm. California politics that we've ever seen in I American agree. history. I agree. I absolutely agree. And, and, and it will be the progressive Democrats of California. It will be. It, yeah. it, you know, because it it will just show our organization power because not to be not to be, you know, critical of people's age, but a lot of these central committee members are in their seventies, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. or higher. And so a lot of them don't have the energy to be running large contested races door to door for a central committee seat they've never had to run for. Like right. as far as like actually campaigning for, and, right? and talking to voters. Exactly. Yeah. So but we're gonna have uh, different organizations of all progressive flavors going and knocking on doors for slates for candidates for their own community members right. and that's what's so Which exciting is what's supposed about to be that. about anyway yeah sort exactly. of like there's just been so much corruption absolutely so um i want to talk about the since you brought up the endorsement process this is really important and the reason i think it's important is when the democratic party goes through this like automatic endorsement of, of any sitting incumbent i think it's a problem in the sense, well, for two things. The first problem I have with this is when you have less informed voters, right, that automatically just vote for the Democrat in any mm-hmm. cycle. Just They don't even know anything about the candidate, really, but they're like, oh, I'm going to vote. I think the problem is, is now that we've had the semi-open primary system, now we have more than one Democrat exactly. running. So it's not like the Republican versus the Democrat. And there's... There is quite a bit of sometimes quite a bit of leeway in policy positions between the two candidates. Absolutely. But as somebody that's not aware of those things, uh, they're going to vote for the person that's been endorsed by the party itself because right. they automatically assume. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. this is and it's a problem. And if you've been like so if you're like Diane Feinstein and you constantly get automatically get endorsed by the party. Right, but she didn't this last time. I know, which is why I'm bringing this yeah, up. It was absolutely. down here in San Diego. Yeah. And um, that really angered a lot of the establishment that the delegates were able to block the auto endorsement. And I noticed in uh, in Berkeley or in uh, San Francisco when I was up there, one of the things that Rusty Hicks was like doing the yet yeah, no, well, maybe yes, well, no, like mm-hmm. was this, this policy about auto endorsement. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think... Um, do, we, do you think we can reform that system? I do. I do believe we can reform that system, and we definitely desperately need to. So I sit in a unique position because I've been doing uh, professional politics here in San Diego since, I guess, 2000. I guess being professional since 2014, but been involved since 2000, late 2012, is that 
I can actually go into the process and actually block an endorsement the old school way. Actually getting all these 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 delegates, getting knowing who they are, doing the call right, time, whipping right. the votes. But somebody who's sort new, of lobbying for your position right. behind the scenes. Or, yeah, exactly. But if you have like a nonprofit activist or somebody right. who hasn't been involved in the politics or the partisanship of politics, exactly. they're coming in and they're walking into the room for the first time and everybody's like, who are you? Get out. Right. <laughs> and that's kind of what, what happens. And so so. So what we need to do is we need to give people that chance to be able to give their their peace and their message. Now, will they probably still be beaten? Probably. I'm not saying that it's going to change overnight, the, the overnight yeah. because you still have to do the work and get these delegates to vote for you because yeah. it is a still a representative model and that's never going to go away. That's never going to go. I yeah. agree. Uh, but but as far as as far as automatic endorsements, yeah. absolutely no. Because then that's affecting people like myself, uh, yeah, exactly. Who who have done the work, who has been built the relationships that 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 has done a lot of things for the party itself. So right now it's well, about it's split. offense. Honestly, it's offensive. Here's the thing that the Democratic Party doesn't seem to understand: they offend their constituency, their voters, mm-hmm. a lot by doing this sort of stuff. Right. Uh, I think a big problem, you know, one of the other big problems that Hillary got into was that. She had so alienated the Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. that campaign so alienated the Bernie Sanders people that people just didn't bother to vote. Absolutely. And they legitimately were, or I mean, you had areas where people were just voted down ballot and left the president Right, blank. absolutely. And I'm still dealing with the fallout from that as a candidate because I am always running into dis- uh, disillusioned um, yeah. uh, former... Yeah, like, why should I bother? Exactly. Like, like, look at the DNC did to Bernie. Why should I... Even, you know, and then when the party came out and said, well, you know, we, we're not, the party itself isn't right. a democracy. We can do what we want sort of an attitude. That was like, absolutely holy shit, really? Yeah. Well, one, good job alienating the people. You need to get, you need to earn votes. Yes. You are not owed anything. Exactly. And this that's is the still, key piece. I mean, even though we're a platocrat- platonomy, I mean, go through that thing. We're still a democracy. Yeah. So you have to earn votes. You cannot force voters to, to, to sway or bend to your desire. Right. And That's and just not realistic. It's not. And I think and I think that because of social media, because of the internet, because any candidate can now put up a video and become viral. Right. Things things have fundamentally shifted because 10 years ago that you had impossible. you you yeah. had mainstream media and yeah. that was it. That was it. You know, and so so there was no there was no ability for an insurgent to come in and actually right. get on mainstream media and say, "Hey, I challenge the incumbent because of ABCD." That person right. would get no air. No. Right. You know, so so now you can't stop us. Like, you know, I'm on Twitter challenging Susan's record almost on a Does daily she basis. Does she respond to you? At no, all? she doesn't. She doesn't. <laughs> but she gets some crazy people support sometimes try to say things. But but other than that, like she doesn't respond to me. She ignores me. Um, and, you know, we actually have an opportunity to do so. So when we we we. As I, I like to say, the people who stayed in the party, the people who didn't dim exit, and I understand the people who did dim exit. Yeah, I get I don't, it. I, don't, I mean, I'm not I happy about it, yeah, but I get it. Yeah, I'm, I don't denigrate the people who didn't. I don't either. I think it's a bad idea. It, it, yeah, it's it's a bad idea, but I understand why they did. I totally yeah. understand. No, I'm saying it's a bad idea to denigrate them. I oh think yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely. What we should be doing is is rebuilding those bridges. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. That's I mean, the people that are in the Green Party or are uh, left leaning independents, these are our allies. They are, and. and 
and what what's happened is you know the dim inter movement right the people right. Who like that say just join the party yeah. to help people like myself yeah, or 100%. you know that that and and what's happened over time is that through the sheer perseverance and white knuckling, you know, the, the progressives that stayed in have actually started taking over political systems. Yeah, no, I, and I, and I, now now people are now joining. Um, I, I had a Green Party member. She's now she's now, I believe, the treasurer of the Vegan Democrats is a club now. Yeah, which is which is great. I love it. Yeah. And uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're the first in the country, by the way, or at least the state that's that funny. that's actually the vegan dim. Yeah, of course. Right. Um, but she's now, but she's maintain that stereotype. Exactly. Right. And, uh, but she is, uh, but she was a green party member, but the only reason she shifted to Democrat at all was because she was going to a central committee mem- a meeting a Demo- as a Democrat. And it was a closed meeting that night because the, 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 the chair at the time was afraid of afraid of some protests or whatnot so she closed the meeting oh, i know right it's like oh wow protest yeah maybe uh, you should listen to the protesters oh, yeah. just a thought well it's one of the reasons why she they didn't might run have for a legitimate beef yeah yeah exactly it's one of the reasons she didn't uh run for re-election because she called the police on black people and actually got Aramik. are you kidding no me? not at all how did i miss this oh what was this? this was uh last year at some point and and uh Aramik glass blake who's running in 51 against juan vargas yeah she was actually arrested that night
you, uh, Jose, because we now have the Chargers up in L.A. Yes. Uh, you know, they were down here in San Diego for decades. But the reason they left San Diego was because they, you know, it irritates me. These billionaire team owners yes. always want the taxpayer to pick up. Absolutely. The cost of building a stadium, even though they're wealthy and it does not benefit financially, the taxpayers, right. it, it, you don't get paid that money back. It's a lie when they say it's economic development. It's a lie when they say there's jobs because most of the jobs are low pay and they're seasonal because the games aren't all year round. Right. The game's not in use all the time. So that's all a bullshit argument. But it's just one more uh, example of the platonomy in this country. Yeah. Uh, the, off the, the, the plutocracy. Right? Yeah. And, and I'll say this. So... I'm proud of San Diego for kicking the Chargers out of town. Yeah, and, I agree. And and we were the first state or first city in the country to say no to a major NFL franchise, uh, and we didn't bend to their will. And what it was was that the San Diegans were like, "I'm not giving 1.1 billion dollars of my hard-earned tax money to to yeah a billionaire family, the Spanish family. It's not going to happen." Wait, not only that, but that's going to reap all the benefits of the income Absolutely. from that. Like. What do they, it's not like they're paying the taxpayers back, and they money. and they still haven't even paid us back for the first one, Jeez, right? So right. so so they're trying to do another rebuild of a. They tried to do another rebuild of a stadium. They tried to put, to, to blackmail us in a sense right. where there's like, oh, if you don't do this, then the, then the, we're leaving. Yeah, we're leaving, and the Charger fans will never elect you, right? And and they were trying. <laughs> They were trying to use that as a political cudgel. Because they're so clueless about how people feel about exactly. it. Exactly. And, and and honestly, I loved the Chargers when they were here. I used to watch some of the games. Right. I don't really support the NFL these days at all because of the, the head injuries and the traumas and things of that nature. But I was happy that we had a team in San Diego for my own city's pride. But at the end of the day, like seeing them leave was was, yeah. was was great be- well, because yeah. they weren't and and honestly they didn't get their way San Diegans and tourists don't come to San Diego for to the, the Chargers. Chargers. They no, come for ridiculous. the beaches, the sun, Comic-Con. the Comic Con. <laughs> we, 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 you know that you know we have the best weather on the planet for at least another few years before climate change burns exactly. us up. No, but, right. but, but, you know, I, I, I think that's where it is. It's the sunshine that brings right. tourists, not because and, they're going to go see it, it nine games a year. And the capper on the whole thing is that LA refused to pay for it as well. So this yeah. guy is now funding his own damn fucking studio. Yeah, absolutely. Stadium. Stadium. Yeah. And he got he gained nothing by all of this. Yeah, he, he took his ball and went home. He took his ball and went home and ended up paying for it anyway absolutely. in LA. So And and he left an entire fan base that that he yeah. that's been developed over decades. So so, it, so it's a disaster. It is a disaster. I I was glad to see that happen. I was glad yeah. to see voters take a stand against that. And I think the second example of that is what's happened with the Amazon warehouse in oh. New York. Here again you saw a company coming in and expecting the taxpayers to subsidize mm-hmm. and uh, claiming that there would be all these economic benefits, jobs, but they're again, they're all shitty jobs. Yeah, they're not, they are. They're, 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 the only person benefiting from that deal is Jeff Bezos. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I was glad to see that happen. So yeah. do you think, um, do you think Americans in general are waking up to the reality that these billionaires have been taking them for a while? I think so. I think so. For you, you can now? you can look at polling and you'll see that that corporations are 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 just as unpopular um, than I mean than the Congress in a yeah, sense, yeah, right? No Pe- people people know that corporations are the ones not giving them the raises. They're leeches. You know? Okay, I mean they're not paying anything in taxes. Right. They expect 
taxpayers, to, it's not even just building the stadiums, building the warehouses, all these things. The other thing they want us to subsidize is their low pay. Because oh, yeah. when they have employees that are working full time that are qualifying for food stamps right. or on Medicaid, that's us taking up the bill that they should be responsible yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. And and we are paying these companies to do this. We're, they're getting tax free. Like like you say, you know, the plutocracy is real. Yeah, it's and, real. And, and we need to break that cycle. And I think that people are starting to say, you know what, corporations, like let's say for healthcare, for example, is, is a good one. It's like people are tired of paying the private tax to right. the corporation that provides their health care. So, so what we have to do is continue to spread that message of like, would you rather pay a $5,000 deductible or would you rather pay a little bit more in taxes at the end of the year? Taxes. Right. And, and yeah, when you put it that way, people were like, well, yeah, that's right. I mean, it, yeah, no. And then they have all these arguments that, oh, it's impossible. Like really every other industrialized nation has a, a, some sort of single yeah, payer system. It's radical centrism. There's that, no, yeah. There's nothing crazy about expecting that. Absolutely. Because people were like, the argument is no. And right. it's like, but when you say why, it's like they just say something like, oh, we can't pay for it. But which people. Is, which is false. Which is false. So you, you have progressives and 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 running across this country right. smart progressives like bernie sanders who's been doing this for yeah. decades and you have up and comer uh progressives that have done the research and major league baseball season is upon us the first three games are tomorrow but it's a proposed football stadium that made headlines this week the san diego chargers unveiled plans to build a 1.8 billion dollar stadium and convention center and while the plan would keep the bolts in California's second largest city, it would cost millions in taxpayer dollars. And that is raising eyebrows, not just in Southern California. For more on this, we are joined by Tom Lay, a news editor for the sports blog Deadspin. Good morning. Hi, good morning. So what, who's behind all of this? Do they just want a nicer stadium, the owners? Is it the taxpayers? What's going on? Right. So uh, the Chargers owner has been after a nicer stadium for a while. And uh, for the last few years, he's been trying to get the team out of San Diego and into L.A., uh, but last year, he lost a three-team race to move to L.A., so uh, they now have two options. Um, he can go to L.A. and share a stadium with the Rams um, and be a tenant, or he can try to get a new one built uh, in San Diego. And so this new plan is to try and do that second option. They're, they're based, there's about $350 million in public financing mm -hmm. here, right? And basically what they're saying is that uh, they'll pay for this with a hotel tax, and they're right. claiming that nobody in San Diego actually has to pay. It's going to be those of us visiting San Diego who pay for their team. Right. And uh, that's sort, sort of a misdirection. I mean, um, it is a hotel tax is less uh, punitive to the local citizens than other taxes that are used to build stadiums, but that's sort of missing the point in that um, there really shouldn't be any public money at all going into these stadiums. Um, and that's just using the hotel tax just sort of puts a nice sheen on it and makes it easier to swallow well, for people. Well, part of that narrative is always, oh, it's going to boost the local economy. Right. Yeah. Is, is that even true? No, it's not true. Um, there are, I mean, dozens of studies you can look at that say that uh, it doesn't boost the local economy. And in fact, sometimes it does the opposite. Um, Sometimes it actually hurts local businesses. Like tourists say, I don't want to come, I don't want to pay the hotel tax. Right, like that. And then there are, you know, bars and restaurants near the stadium that actually get less business because uh, people don't want to come in and compete with the crowds who are traffic and all of that. And the hike in the, in the hotel tax they're talking about is pretty substantial. It's like about 33% of the right. tax. Right, and it's, yeah. it's also, I mean, if there's an economic downturn at some point and there's less tourism, uh, they're not going to get as much from that hotel tax, and but they're still on the hook for. So why does it keep happening? Yeah. I mean, you can, there's like a laundry list of cities that's already yeah. happened in. Um, it's just sort of been the status quo for so long that people accept that it's okay to uh, give billionaire owners hundreds of million dollars to 
tax money to build stadiums. And are, um, are there any? Are there actually any real benefits to it? Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> I, other than if you're, if you're a fan of the team and you are yes. desperate for your team to stay, then yes, that's a benefit. Um, but that benefit, uh, in my opinion, doesn't outweigh the, the cons. There's there's still so many things that are uh, just sort of um, objectionable about rich owners asking for money. Well, I mean, aside from public finance, then, mm -hmm. is your proposal, or I guess what people are saying, is that these owners should foot the bill? Yeah, it should be the owners in the league. So we have the policies already. We have an actual bill in Congress. This isn't foo-foo, like, oh, right. I'm going to give you a pony type stuff. This is no, actual hard legislation exactly. that is ready to be signed. Yeah. Uh, you know, all we got to do is have the vote. Signed. Yeah, it needs to be signed. So, yeah, I had, like, just a couple days before I came down to San Diego, uh, you know, I, I can be a little snarky on Twitter. I completely own that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but this guy, I knew who he was. He's the uh, head of government affairs for uh, Blue Shield, which is part of the oh, Blue yeah. Cloth. Oh, this is large, many, many subsidiaries. Oh, yeah. uh, but he was also in the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. So this is, he's the prime example of the revolving door. Absolutely. And he's, so he's on Twitter saying we can't have Medicare for all. I'm like, that is so fucking disingenuous. Oh, yeah. Tell people who you are. Exactly. And he had, he had the stupidity to respond to me like, well, why can't we just talk about the issues? I'm like, the fact you are a lobbyist that used to be part of the administration, you are the poster child for the revolving door, is, is the, the issue. issue. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, every sector of our government is bought and paid for. And, 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 and we... As progressives are now raising raising the flag and saying no, this isn't okay. And what we're doing, and like I always say, the blue wave is important to knock out Republicans, but the progressive wave is more important to knock out all the bad Democrats that exactly. are going to stand in our way. Exactly. Because I, I I say this, it's like if we have Medicare for all, and let's say we get President Bernie Sanders in office, right? And we we go through the, the steps of going through Medicare for all and everything's going through. And yeah. then it's going to be our establishment Democrats. Yeah. They're going to vote with the Republicans right. to block it. Yep. And and then we're going to be we're going to be so angry and up in arms in this country. And then we're going to continue to blame those Republicans instead of the actual Democrats. I, that are no, standing yeah, I, I the enabling Democrats anger me far more yes. than these GOP assholes, because I know what I'm going to get from the GOP motherfuckers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why progressives. But when Nancy Pelosi fucking enables Trump to do what he did. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, it's uh, appalling to me yeah. that, you know. What the hell was she thinking? I know. How did she not see that that was the inevitable outcome of, of the things that she was saying publicly about Elon Omar? How oh, yeah. could she not perceive, especially after Trump was telling, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year or in the fall, that that the party was against her and that he would support her being the the chair, <laughs> oh, the speaker, you know, you know, and it's just it's just like they're playing this patty cake game, right? Yeah. You know, and then they they think, oh, well, Nancy Pelosi's doing what she has to do. No, no she's the leader. I, just, I can't with her anymore. You know, I and, really can't. And that's why that's why with her leadership, what she has created, she needs to just go. Oh yeah, absolutely. And when when people get irritated about progressives challenging Democrats, they have one person to blame, and that's Nancy Pelosi. Because I agree. Nancy Pelosi has been telling these Democrats, yeah. like Susan Davis, the challenger. To go and vote on that one, one uh, four point five billion dollar aid package on the Pence promise. With two dozen Democratic candidates vying for the party's presidential nomination, the debate over what the party should stand for is front and center. As Lisa Desjardins reports, that battle is also playing out inside the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives. 
For the House Speaker, a difficult issue. I said what I'm going to say on the subject. That was yesterday when Nancy Pelosi was asked about the public airing of what had been mostly private frustrations in her caucus. Those began months ago as a group of new members, including New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, pushed openly for the party to move more to the left. At one point, she protested in Pelosi's office for her sweeping progressive Green New Deal. Should Leader Pelosi become the next Speaker of the House? Pelosi reached out, offering Ocasio-Cortez a spot on a new climate change committee, but she turned it down, pointing out that the temporary committee had fewer powers than others. Soon, Ocasio-Cortez and three other freshman women of color emerged as a tight, vocal group of activist members, but they did not openly break with Pelosi until this month. This is bigger than a funding debate! As Congress heard more news of child deaths and poor treatment of migrants at the border, Democrats initially passed legislation to force better conditions. But that bill hit a wall in the Senate. We already have our compromise. So Pelosi compromised, agreeing to a more generic border funding bill that didn't require better treatment. The motion is adopted. The only Democrats voting no, those same four freshmen, sometimes called the squad. And Ocasio-Cortez's office went further. Her chief of staff raised race in a tweet that attacked moderate Democrats, writing, they certainly seem hell-bent to do to black and brown people today what the old Southern Democrats did in the 40s. He deleted those words, but a few days later, Pelosi told the New York Times the group made themselves irrelevant, saying they're four people and that's how many votes they got. Then on Wednesday, Pelosi went behind closed doors with her caucus, making an extraordinary plea for unity. At one point, saying that members should come to her with complaints, not tweet about one another. But the squad of four felt they were being wrongly scolded, and Ocasio-Cortez told the Washington Post it was just outright disrespectful, the explicit singling out of newly elected women of color. That comment resonated with another prominent Democrat, progressive caucus leader Pramila Jayapal, who also said, I don't think the speaker is used to having a group of members who has bigger Twitter followings than her. Which brings us back to Pelosi's response. At the request of my members, an offensive tweet that came out of one of the members' offices that referenced our blue dogs and our new Dems essentially as segregationists. Our members took offense at that. I addressed that. We respect the value of every member of our caucus. The diversity of it all is a wonderful thing. Diversity is our strength. Unity is our power. And we have a big fight, and we're in the arena. And that's all I'm going to say on the subject. This all goes deeper than large personalities at odds. Pelosi's Democrats have real policy divides between moderates, many of whom are in vulnerable districts, and progressives who are not. It's a fight not just about who Democrats are, but what they want to do. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Lisa Desjardins. You know, like that. There's no gap stops on any of that. Right, exactly. It, I mean, she pretty much gave him a blank check and on a promise. On from, a promise of what? Like this guy's going to fulfill his fucking yeah, promise? Yeah, exactly. Like when he's locking up kids on the border as exactly, we speak. Exactly. So, so, so 
it just shows. And that's why people are getting angrier and angrier and angrier because her leadership has stoked it. That's why progressives in safe Democrat districts like this one need to run against their uh, incumbent. Yeah, we need to vote these. Yeah, we do. And that's why that's why the progressive wave is so important. And, you know, and we're going to be branding that soon. And we already we already started. We have a website starting called the progressive wave dot org where we are actually are the San Diego Democratic Club is is uh sponsoring that no this is this is gonna other... this is gonna be another completely separate organization okay. that that is going to be run by I, I, it's gonna be an entity kind of like act blue that's what we're trying to do oh so, so you're gonna be able to do fundraising so so that them? way so okay. that way when somebody donates to the progressive wave yeah. they're donating to all of the progressive challenging candidates right. that actually uh, that actually have real solid policy. So, you know, the way we get on the progressive, the way you get on progressive wave is that you sign the pledges, no fossil fuel, no corporate money, uh, the TYT economic pledge, um, making sure that you are running against um, a, 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 an actual Democrat incumbent. Um, yeah. And, and also that you have unique policy that you're bringing to the table. So my unique policy is the hero's promise, which is the military veteran bill of rights. So if, if those candidates those progressive challengers have something that's reasonable and and are, are challenging, yeah. then we're going to put them on that slate. Tell, tell us a little bit about the Heroes Challenge, because you're a vet. Heroes so Promise, you, yes. Or Heroes Promise. I want to talk about that for a second, explain that whole thing. And then I also want to ask you about the uh, vets that are being deported yes. that have served in our military, have yes. gone to Iraq. And are being deported because they're they're not they haven't been given citizenship, right. which is fucking outrageous. It is to outrageous, me. and and it's it's a it's a it's a complete shame, and it's part of one of the planks of the hero's promise. So oh, so, okay, so yeah, absolutely. So so the hero's promise um, is a very personal issue to me um, as a veteran that served six years in the Navy. I have lost two shipmates to suicide already. Um, I have a veteran friend that attempted suicide three months ago. The only reason uh, he he survived. He had to go to the hospital, all those terrible things. Um, And, you know, he's the guy that I have to pick up the phone at two in the morning. Right. Just make sure that everything is is okay. And I completely am okay doing that. But it's a very personal issue because you're looking at 20 veterans a day uh, committing suicide. And then you also have one on average in the county of San Diego because we're so uh, such a a large military military veteran concentration Mm -hmm. here. Um, so when I wrote the hero's promise, I had one intention, which was to end the abuse that leads and, and the suffering that leads to the, to, to the ultimate end of a veteran's life. And, and just, and, and before I get into the hero's promise, there's one stat I want to say yeah. over 139,000, uh, veterans have, have died to suicide since 9-11. So, so you're talking about numbers that are exceeding what the actual combat deaths are. So we're sending all of these young men and women to war. They're coming back with no support network and then they're killing themselves and they're, and they're suffering suicide and, and it is a complete disaster. So what is the hero's promise? Well, the hero's promise is, is a framework that is a bill of rights to protect active duty and veterans when they get out while they're in and while they're out. 
first sleep meal and sleep protection, making sure that they get, you right. know, adequate sleep to keep their mental health strong and making sure that they have food so they right. so they can, you know, obvious reasons why you need food. Um, the ability to file an effective grievance, meaning that like if you're sexually assaulted or assaulted or bullied to the extent, you have the ability to file outside of your chain of command to actually have a real investigation of what's going on in your life. Because when you're stuck on a, on a base or a ship right. for four years, like yeah. you need to have some form of ability to protect yourself um we also want to offer the right of mental health services to our active duty because there is a lot of reprisal in fact i was just talking to um a friend that um or uh, i guess a new supporter she has a friend that was a nuke uh, because i was a reactor operator aboard the the uss ronald reagan she was actually a uh, she was actually a nuke on the nimitz which was the ship next door uh, here in san diego um she got depressed um, and she got prescribed antidepressants. And when you're prescribed antidepressants as a reactor operator or, or in the nuclear field of the U.S. Navy, uh, you are completely, you lose your job. You're completely, you're removed from that job. So she was scraping paint, right. sweeping, doing all that type of stuff wow. for the rest of her career. Even though she'd been trained in this. Yeah. And here's the kicker. She has to pay back half of her schooling costs for be being a nuke. So she got $60,000 in debt getting out of the military with no support network. And that and that friend of mine told me that she calls her daily to make sure she's in a good headspace. Because she's dealing with not only a student loan debt that was given forcefully Crippling. given yeah. to her by the United States military. And that's the government that owes you. So that means they're going to garnish your wages. If, if they, so this was like ROTC where she served and would no, get- no, no, no. This is a nuclear power training command. So this is your C schools that we're talking about here. I went. Wait, yeah. are you? So this wasn't even like I'm going to UC San Diego. No, no. This is going to nuclear kidding? power training. I actually have a friend that How personally could they suffers stick her this. With the of that? That's it, insane. It's insane. And all. And what was her crime? Getting depressed. What in the actual hell? Absolutely. So, so, so that's another thing that happens. I had a. But isn't that part of you? If you sign up for the military, if I join the Navy and you have to train me to do this job, that's what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. That's on the government to take it. That's exactly. part of the deal. How could they turn around and like, it, 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 wait, wait? Like I can't wrap my head around it. It, it, this it is, is real. It's a real thing. And, and this happens with frequency. This happens with frequency. In fact, one of my shipmates. What happens if she doesn't? If she says no, I can't. Pay they will you. garnish her wages until she gets. Are you kidding? No, I'm not. And 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 this is one of those things that is. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we have private defense contractors raping us blind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, one of my shipmates uh, that wow. went depressed as well um, because of uh, there's is, I, he should write a book on how bad he was abused. Um, but he got so depressed and so angry that in Hawaii he got drunk, lost his mind because for many reasons why I completely understand why he lost his mind. He broke a police officer's arm in Hawaii. Oh shit! Yeah, because he was just so. Uh, upset with authority it was authority that was he was his enemy not that police officer right it was the ptsd that's what that was he got out with an other than honorable discharge also having to pay back his re-enlistment bonus and and you're talking about you're talking about forty five thousand dollars that he got tax-free 
in that zone that he now is responsible to pay back. And and so so that's what's happening. So that's why the right to mental health services is so critical yeah. because that shouldn't be allowed. That should you served, you 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 enlisted that person and you put them through that environment to cause them to do the XYZ steps that 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 they feel is bad. Well, you're responsible for that. I agree. You you allowed that person's mental status to get to that level. And that's yeah, what there's no the way problems. you go. To, there's no way you go to war and come back unscathed. No, it's 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 it's, not, it's, it's, it's not possible. It's uh, the, just not. And the next plank would is the uh, in the service guaranteed pension. So yes. so so we're talking that's about bad. you do four years, you get four years of guaranteed base pay. Okay. And that way you actually have the fair. ability to actually realign yourself as a civilian because I joined at 18 years old. When I You're left when I left the military, I was still in that 18 year old mentality of what am I going to do now? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm just going to just do things and, and you're expected to get a job right away. So a lot of a lot of these right. veterans. Go to college, one or the other. Exactly. And that's another problem is. That they're these, still funding that, aren't they? Yeah, well, so that, that they are. Okay. However, what, what happens is these veterans come out of the military not having anywhere to go. So they go and they jump to the first school that accepts them. And guess who's there? Private education industries oh, are there to pick up snap. veterans. So not a Cal State or a UC No, school. no, not at all. Because those are extremely hard to get into because you become a transfer student the second you get out of the military. Right, because, okay. because you're too old to be a freshman or you get military credit uh, the, or college credit from the military that Nobody accepts except for these private institutions. So what they do is they predator, they're predatory. Yeah, they're pred- yeah, they, are predatory. they take these veterans that have nowhere else to go. Charge them eighty thousand a year in tuition. Well, or well, it, and crazy. and it goes on the and it goes on the military's dime, so they don't have to pay that for that uh, second. Right. But then they're getting BAH, which is you know basic allowance for housing in the places they live. So that's how they're right. getting it. So a lot of them are like, well, I don't really want to go to national university, but I guess I have to if I want to be able to live. Yeah, you know, so. I can get a paycheck to go to the school that I don't like, right? And <laughs> and that's what's happening. We're subsidizing not only paying the tuition for these private schools, so but we're also paying for the students that's a to go. Too, because I remember when I was at UC Irvine, I had several classmates that were their uh, education was being financed by the military because they had served there for Absolutely. five years or whatever it is. Well, I I got I was fortunate so enough to get into Mesa College, which so is a community changed. college. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then I got into San Diego State University okay. because of the transfer. But it's harder than hell. It's harder than ever is to it? get into universities now so so no, yeah so 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 I mean, these veterans are competing with we need to build another UC absolutely campus in my so opinion. so so with with the end of service pension it's caps at six years if okay. you're a combat vet six years six years okay. if you're a combat vet though you get plus two so 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 oh, okay. so so because you obviously if for you, the obvious reasons, yeah, yeah for obvious reasons you probably need a couple more years to reevaluate what happened in your life so so if you did six years you're going to get eight but it, it would cap at eight at that point. But if you do four years, you'd get six, right? So if you're a combat vet. It's and better than what we have now. Absolutely. And which is nothing. It, which is nothing, right? And, and, and that's what's causing the homelessness. That's what's causing the oh, suicide. Absolutely. That's what's causing a lot of the issues that we're having right now. And well, it also... They, they come back from war and they're not getting any support. It's just, it's just asinine to me when I see how large our defense budget is. Mm-hmm. And then you see them griping over having to fund the VA at a bare minimum. I mean, the VA is so underfunded. Absolutely. And And it's like, where, like, really? Really, United States of America? This is where we're at as a country? Right, right. We're going to throw these men out like they're trash, but we're going to give Halliburton... 
loads, right. boatloads of money that they're wasting and enriching their executives with, right. where are our priorities? Right, exactly, exactly. So, so you know, and 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 the, the another double thing that the that the the end of service pension is going to do is it's going to try to alleviate in the indentured servitude that is happening right now. So oh, I know a lot of people. That's interesting. It's a it's a very bold claim, right, to yeah, say no. that the military has indentured servitude in a military. But when you have a family, when you have kids. And and you are approach, uh, approaching the specter of getting out of the military with no real exit out. You yeah. stay in. I have people right uh, now in the military saying. that I spoke to that hated it just as much as I did. We would we would sit in circles, being like, you know, <laughs> like this, this sucks. This is suffering. And but there there they are signing that reenlistment for for the fact for that lack of other options. because the kids need health care. Yeah. Their parent, their their spouses need healthcare. What like they need a they need a roof over their head. So there's a lot of men and women that are forced in the military to stay in because they have no other options in. And when you reenlist, that's not small. That's not a small thing to do. You're you're devoting anywhere between three to six years of your life More, longer, yeah. right? To to say, okay, I'm going to do this longer, and then that just kind of just indoctrinates them into like, this is my life now. Yeah, you know, I'm just a drone for the military. Yeah. So what we really need to do is onboard that exit door. Right. Because it's boarded up right now. And and a lot of people see people going through that door right now. It's like, man, so and so killed themselves. They couldn't get by. Oh, they're homeless now. Yeah. You know, they, they went and got a crap degree because they that's worth toilet paper. Right. Like, you know, those are the things that are happening. And a lot of those vets or those active duty folks are like, yeah. I'm not touching that i'll just do 20 years and retire so i can get that pension but they're forced into it in a, in not physically but in a in a de facto way they're, yes, they're, they're de facto. doing that I, no, I see your yeah point. so so now on the veteran side of the hero's promise it's very it's you're you're gonna love a lot of this because it's very progressive education for all veterans it doesn't matter if you want you know a phd you should be able to get that phd right now the ga the va the va only pays for 36 months worth of school so if you could reach a higher education right no you know let's talk about that for a second because that doesn't you don't necessarily get your bachelor's degree like there was one gal that ended up having to pay for her senior year mm-hmm. because she couldn't get the units in. Absolutely, and 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 that again. So yeah, goes that back caps to, out by months. And a lot of a lot degree. exactly, and a lot of vets they start school prematurely because what right. I was talking about, and so then they're at their they're taking school seriously. They're in their they're in the groove, yeah. and they're a semester a year behind, and yeah. now they're paying that student loan debt. That's why we have so many veterans with student loan debt. Right. Um, and then you and then we also need to make sure we have uh medic me, medicare and va for all so so for all vets so yeah, they like, gotta clean that so yeah, vision it's like, got to be dental it's got to be everything no matter what service connection they have they, it's right. got to be everything we we also need to give housing as a right for all veterans so all the ho- homeless vets we need to create community veteran centers across the country yeah, where veterans can go well, hell, anywhere. look, if we're going to remain in a permanent war economy which just seems yeah inevitable. i i mean i can't believe i'm saying this but it seems inevitable like i can't Imagine yeah. this country ever cleaning up its act that way. Absolutely. Our and and policy is predicated at this point. Absolutely. And and a lot of that also has to do with the transition too. So if you if you're used to living in a barracks for six years, yeah. Right. And and now you're gonna go and live out alone, like without people in your community, that's no very lonely. That is. So so we should have 
community centers where people can Absolutely. work and not well live in and 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 do it rent free. And you know what? They can sock up that pension and and save it for something bigger, like buying a and home at the, the end of that the four years. Transitional support, exactly, because you're you're around your light community, exactly. so everybody's so transitioning. As you're transitioning out of military into civilian life, exactly right. So that 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 helps as well. <clears throat> um, and then citizenship is a right for all veterans. Yeah, let, I need to talk to you about that yeah. because it blows my mind that this is happening. A once you've served the country, you should be given. Like I don't even know how this is a discussion. I know, it, I really it, don't. But how is it that our government structured in, in the a sense that a non-citizen can walk into any of the military offices and sign up to be in the military? Yes. And the question of whether this person's a U.S. citizen is never discussed. Right. How is that even possible well so so the way it works is there's a lot of programs that the military does offer i knew i have um, a friend of mine who was colombian and uh, he got his citizenship through the military after serving a certain amount of time and a lot of these deported vets are are veterans that got out before that time period happened so they didn't get the the, the oh, they I didn't see. get that part of the contract fulfilled okay. so, so so they do go in saying i'm not a u.s citizen but if you serve six years we'll or, give you. yeah or so whatever number four of years, years or whatever. yeah oh, yeah so so they okay. can they can they can you know get on a fast track to citizenship okay. but if something happens along the way for right. whatever reason then they're like oh well we're not fulfilling our end of the bargain and now you're going back over the the country for me i don't care if you're you know it, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't matter I mean, what you do you know right you know if, if if they if they commit murder then put them in prison you know as an american because they serve still they right. were still in america and yeah i spoke with a gentleman that um had served two terms in iraq i mean yeah. he was there he was in combat um came you know we don't it does does it matter that they have ptsd or they just there's a million things that could happen yeah. that you're not going to fulfill that six years if you're in heavy combat all the time that affects you a dui does it a dui does it yeah that's he enough would, he yeah he that's he mentioned that he had some low level things like yeah, that that yeah. happened and, that, and 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 then and then all of a sudden and it might have actually been a dui and, and it was probably and and you know what it's probably because he's suffering from ptsd depressed and at the bar right and then decided to make a mistake to drive. And it's not like this, people do this stuff and, yeah. you know, it's not irredeemable. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, in there's... In my opinion. Absolutely. Like, people are allowed to make mistakes in society. Right. And, and I mean, if the billionaire guy can get a DUI and buy his way back into society, then it doesn't absolutely. seem fair that we're exactly. a combat vet. A combat vet. veteran, you know, for something for that, some, that, yeah. that such as, you know, drinking and driving. And and I'm not condoning that, but it shouldn't be... That no, shouldn't be you. a sentence to deportation. Um, and so, so that's the hero's promise in a nutshell. Um, and, and what, what that's going to provide is, uh, alleviating the suffering that, that happens in, in our, in our, in our ranks. I'll, I'll share a little personal story about, about my service on the, on the ship. So I joined the military, um, at 18 years old, um, you know, with, with the patriotism in mind, cause I was small town boy from Texas. And it was like, nobody ever said, Hey, go to an Ivy league, Jose. Like, right. you know, they were like, you should join the military or go to the community college next door. And I didn't want to go to the community college next door right. because it was like high school 2.0. And I didn't want, <laughs> didn't want to do that. Small town, Texas, not, yeah, it totally was, it, it didn't want, totally isn't what I wanted. 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> and, funny. and so, so I was like, fine, I'll join the military. I was like, I went to the, to the Navy recruiter and I was like, give me the hardest intellectual job you got. And they said, all right, be a 
reactor operator be a nuclear engineer? I was like, okay, great, I'll do that. So I joined up and I and I was there because I was like, yeah, I'm serving my country, raw like that type of stuff. And and it was one time I was standing on watch, and this was when I was feeling pretty down in the dumps about like not not really liking what I was doing. Um, but there was um, I stood watch in the morning. And this is a particular day I'm talking about. So I was standing watching in the morning out to sea. And uh, I was standing reactor operator where you control steam demand. And you could hear the planes take off the top with the, the and you can see the, the steam move. And I was, I was in charge of making sure all those things were maintained as a reactor operator. And so all day, for a five hour watch, I'm just hearing that. And, and, and so I'm just like, yep, yeah, same watch, boom, you know, boom, boom. Yeah. You can hear all the ships, uh, all the planes taking off. And uh, that dinner time, I am uh, sitting at the, at the mess hall and I'm eating my dinner and the captain's call came on this closed circuit TV and you're supposed to watch it. Um, it's basically the captain's you know message to the crew. So you have to watch what, what the captain's got to say. Yeah. And then the captain turns it over to the air boss. The air boss is the person who care, controls the air wing. And um, he immediately starts off with, we had a great day today. We put warheads on foreheads. Watch us blow up some ragheads. And oh. Oh yeah, my and God. and I'm just like, whoa, what wow. is going on right now? And they show the footage of you know, I'm sure you're familiar with like the green footage and the infrared. Yeah, well, I'm having a flashback to the Chelsea Manning. It, very similar, yeah. very very similar type of footage, okay. right? Um, so so as far as the the graininess of the of the of the video, and and you see the the mountain passes of Afghanistan. And you see this caravan of people. You can actually see the outlines of people in a caravan. And all of a sudden, you just see bombs blowing these people up. And 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 I'm just, like, shocked. It's appalling. It's a, and, and it was, like, the first time that I was actually, like, really brought into the horror of war because I was just a guy reactor operator. I was just a guy making sure that the numbers yeah, were Yeah, so you good. don't see that, but you've been seeing just the I was in a yeah. box in a You're room. You're a box with a room. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's all I'm in, right? So so, 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 I saw that, and, and I think the thing that really shuddered me was the people around me were cheering about it. Right. And then I'm just like, That's I lose so my appetite. Sick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they were like, oh, and people were like, yeah, get those ragheads. Woo. Yeah. Because they were like there for that purpose. And all, some of them. Right. And and for me, I was like, I, I wanted it's to go right. to school. Like, I, yeah. didn't, you know, I didn't I didn't sign up for this. Right. And and I I was a young kid when I was 18 when I signed up. Right. I was just thinking about cheering the world and, right. you know, serving my country and getting this heroness and all this valor and all this BS that doesn't matter. Yeah, and, 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 and and so they, I was brainwashed. I was brainwashed, yeah, you know, being it, a conservative in Texas. Well, that's what happened. Yeah. And and so so. That moment, that was, your wake up that was the wake up call. That was the gut wrenching moment that allowed that me to be like, I was like, you didn't even know if those folks were guilty exactly. of anything. Exactly. You know how many innocent people we drove exactly. off? And that's what got to me. I was like, how do I know there weren't kids in those caravans? There probably was. You know, and it's like, they're they families. They doesn't give a shit. No, they, they don't. They literally don't give a shit. That's what's, a, okay, so let's talk about our foreign policy for a second yeah. because I'm sort of done with uh, Americans not really thinking deeply about why we have asylum seekers at our border to begin with. Right. They're coming here because of our actions abroad. Our foreign policy is just devastating Absolutely. for a lot of countries. And this idea that America is fighting for any sort of, I mean, Iraqi freedom. Yeah, right. Fucking yeah, freedom. right, right, right. All of this has to do with uh, money, privatization, corporate 
power, protecting corporate power, stealing resources. None of it has to do with anything remotely, remote, remotely related to humanitarian aid or granting them freedom or uh, any of those. It's things. not World War II anymore. No, and we that, have, I think that was probably the last. That was the last, like I think, morally Viet, justified. Viet, war. I, I agree. So Vietnam, for me, and I and I think um, I should talk about Vietnam more often on my podcast. Vietnam was was really not was never about communism. Right. Like that's what they tell all the kids, right? right? We had to defeat communism, right? No, 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 no. Viet Vietnam was about French colonial power and a country wanting their independence. Right. So that's how it started. That's what it was about. And but they couldn't sell the American public right. on that, no. right? No. So it became we have to fight communism. Communism is the scary yeah, thing. Absolutely. And Vietnam War was just devastating on so many not 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 only for Vietnam, but also for the United States. Yeah. And and we converted it from communism to terrorism. Exactly. And that's the only difference exactly. that and, we did. And we gave Henry Kissinger a goddamn Nobel Peace Prize oh after he God. carpet bombed Cambodia. Like, what yeah. the actual fuck? Yeah, right? yeah. So, uh, so uh, that point forward, the United States of America, that point forward, we're the gravest geopolitical problem oh, out yeah, there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The we're the Everything enemies. we do, we are. Everything we do going forward from that point on, is, you know, that original point where Eisenhower warned us about yeah. turning into a permanent war economy. This is exactly what's happened. Oh, yeah. So now we've got these folks seeking asylum at our borders. Well, they're here because for the last 20 years, we've intervened in, in a very destructive way in Central American countries. Uh, and, you know... There's multiple Overseen facets. genocide. I mean, the Contras, you can go through all of these things. Absolutely. You have the, the constant regime changes, for one. And then you also have the drug war. That, that oh all God, of these cartels... All but these, this is all related, It's right? all related. So, it's I all mean, part of this, this I mean, this I don't American know if the, the, young, the young ones know that Reagan was funding that shit with oh, drug yeah. money. I mean, I, mean, I mean, he was caught. He was, he, he was caught, you know, and, 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 you know, he, that is not hyperbolic. That is actual effect. Yeah, fact, absolutely. The CIA is, it can't even deny oh, that shit anymore. Oh, I know. Right. So in the early 1980s, the U S was still in a cold war with Russia and anti-communist sentiment was strong. During his presidential campaign, Reagan promised to assist anti-communist insurgencies around the world. For a brief time under Reagan, the CIA trained and assisted groups fighting communist leaders abroad. Reagan was particularly interested in a group called the Contras and their battle in Nicaragua. The Contras were a group battling the Cuban-backed Sandinistas, a communist group who had seized power in 1979. Reagan called the Contras the moral equivalent of our founding fathers. But much of the Contras funding came from the cocaine trade. Because of this, Congress passed the Bolin Amendment, specifically aimed at keeping American money from funding the group. That happened in 1982, shortly after Reagan took office. The amendment restricted the CIA and Department of Defense from using funds to provide military assistance to groups that were trying to overthrow Nicaragua's government, groups like the Contras. This didn't stop Reagan. The president told his national security advisor, Robert McFarland, to help the Contras anyway, regardless of the cost. McFarland found opportunity in Iran. In 1985, an Iranian-backed terrorist group held seven American hostages in Lebanon. 
Reagan insisted his advisors find a way to bring the hostages home, saying, I want you to do whatever you have to do to help these people keep body and soul together. So with permission from Reagan, McFarlane made a deal. The U.S. would give Iran weapons, and Iran would broker the release of the hostages. This happened even though Reagan publicly insisted he would not negotiate with terrorists, and despite the fact that there was a trade embargo with Iran. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. The deal with Iran didn't just secretly secure the release of the hostages in exchange for weapons. There was money involved. While $30 million had been allocated for the weapons, the CIA funneled a portion of that money to the Contras in Nicaragua, the group Reagan supported in their guerrilla fight against the Sandinista government. In 1986, the Lebanese newspaper Al-Shara reported the arms deal, and everything began to unravel. That prompted an investigation by the U.S. Attorney General, who discovered that only $12 million of the $30 million actually went toward weapons for Iran. The rest of the money was sent to the Contras in Nicaragua. The revelations were explosive. Reagan denied the allegations that he had negotiated with terrorists. But Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North came forward and acknowledged that he diverted funds to the Contras. North also said Reagan knew about it. North's testimony would inspire the press and Congress to launch investigations against Reagan for the rest of his presidency. Texas Senator John Tower led the investigation into the scandal. The Tower Commission determined it was Reagan's lack of oversight that allowed Iran-Contra to happen, but did not implicate Reagan directly. It wasn't until another congressional investigation in 1987 that Reagan finally testified. On May 5, 1987, joint hearings were televised investigating the covert arms deal with Iran and the assistance to Nicaragua. The hearings would go on for 41 days. Reagan was never charged, but McFarlane, Oliver North, four CIA officers, five government contractors, and Reagan's national security advisor, John Poindexter, were all found guilty. Yet, speculation about Reagan's involvement lingered on. Press investigations would go on for years to follow. It just kind of blows my mind that nobody at this point, like, so, you know, obviously these, these camps that are, they're constant, I don't mind them being called Yeah, they, they are constant. I think they, that's they, 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 they are. definitionally are. <laughs> right. So uh, nobody seems to be discussing that this aspect of the problem. And it's, and I think unless we change our foreign policy and really change our foreign policy, this is not, this is not going to subside. So, so there's three prongs to my candidacy that is going to alleviate this. One is the fact that we're going to put in the hero's promise to start naturally drawing down our military forces. So there's all the people that want to get out are going to start getting out. Right. And 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 I and a lot of the military industrial complex knows that. And that's why they're afraid of the hero's promise, because it's a veteran bill. That's yeah. what it is. And and people need that. It's support. not a pro-war bill. It's, it's a pro-vet bill. It's pro- These are very different things. Absolutely. And then I also want to start drawing down our military bases and start pulling back forward bases as well and start bringing them home. And and when we do that, we can start using that extra manpower that we have from all and money and, money and actually start maybe rebuilding infrastructure here in America right. like the real We're America first type thing right yeah exactly. you know and then and then the last prong as far as like the refugee crisis is ending the drug war and and you know this is probably one of the most controversial pieces on my platform but I I want to get to the point where we start having the discussion and actually decriminalizing all drugs you know that's what it's about 
that's what it's about. And yeah, and, I'm hundred percent. And, and it, because, because right now cartels are profiting on our crime networks of they are. and, and that is causing the massive crisis yep. that is happening. So if we were to cut out the funding mechanism yeah. from these cartels, I think people would not have so much to run from because I think it would devastate and allow the governments to get an upper hand on these broke cartels at that point yeah, to basically I mean, take why them Why does the United States of America constantly get in bed with these just heinous... Oh, yes. I mean, I know the answer. The answer is because they're... Oh, yeah, they're in the Saudis. Yeah, they're protecting corporate America. Yeah, this is yeah. all about capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. But it blows my mind. I mean, Elliot Abrams absolutely oversaw genocide. Yeah. And he's back again under Abs- Trump. I absolutely. Mean, uh, Oliver North. You know, the guy who we were talking about earlier with the Iran-Contra stuff, right? Where, you know, where, where, like, giving weapons, and and now he's back in the Selling drugs, giving weapons. I mean, they were dumping drugs in L.A. to fund, like, the whole whole thing is just, like... It's whack. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't believe it's real, but it is. Yeah, exactly. Know? And and it's like this is our government. What the hell's going on? Yeah, here? exactly. And it's like we 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 are now living inside of a dystopian novel. You know, it's like you it's know you know and and you you know every chapter like it's like it just keeps getting it worse. just keeps getting worse. It's like wow, this book is like wow, this is dystopia. Like you know, like you know, you read this book. 40 Mike years Pompeo. ago. I mean, yeah. I mean, like all of these characters, they're, they're war criminals. Yeah, and absolutely. I thought we'd seen the last one and they're all back. They are back. And you know what? I think we are reaching the death throes though. I think that right now. Yeah, they can't make, the, the case they tried to make for Venezuela was just absolutely ridiculous. Oh, yeah. When Mike Pompeo made that speech where he absolutely said that Cuba was the imperialist power. Right. I was like. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you just so jumped the shark. Yeah, absolutely. This is parody. But yeah, absolutely. So like foreign foreign policy, like when it comes to Congress, we also need to make sure we keep the War Powers Act in place. We need to make sure that we we in Congress are the ones making those decisions. That's right. And and we also need to really reevaluate all of our weapons deals, if not cancel all of them. Uh, You know, because we don't need the money that way. We don't need blood money to survive in this country. We're very innovative. We can create solar panels, not bullets. Like you know these are the these are the things that we can do and and so so in congress i will make sure i'll do everything i can to make sure that we stop all of these foreign policy travesties yeah. that we're doing day in war is war like as a veteran for peace yeah i don't want to see any more war and one of the criticisms that i get from the left on hero's promise is that oh well shouldn't you be focusing more on the ending of the wars i'm like we can do both we, we can do both yeah i don't think i think it's really important for the left to realize that it's an it's an imperative that we take care of our best exactly it just is they're just That's, they're just people if they're you're kids a leftist and join. you believe in this whole humanitarian stuff that mm-hmm. you're supposed to believe on the left then this should be part of that absolutely i don't think Bets are automatically evil people just because they served in a war. Exactly. I mean, have some empathy and understanding for something that's more complex. And and a lot of it has to do with the indoctrination and the young age. I mean, that's why the that's why they're fighting right now. The military is fighting for recruitment of sixteen year olds now. Um, yeah, they're actually trying to say. Do you think that a possibility like I I um, 
I was mind blown by this beta. Was it beta or war thing? Yeah. The war tax oh thing. Like, God. what in the actual hell? It's like, what? Like, when did we stop paying the war tax? Like, that's worse you than know, a draft. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, the thing is, the thing that's really annoying about that is we already pay a war tax. It's the highest tax we pay, exactly. and and it's like it's like all of a sudden now we're gonna tax war. Like, well, he's basically saying we're gonna tax people that don't have members in the military. So this is like worse than a draft. Oh yeah, and it's super. I was like, he, he, Beto shows his inability to do policy because uh, yeah. like if that you're going to come like, up with a policy that is that complicated that has that many facets of like who can qualify for it who does this and all it's just like that is not policy that no, is it's that not. is and it's just it's just BS. encouraging the permanent war economy on every level oh yeah it's absolutely like, and it's gonna and i'm my answer my answer to him is like I'm oh yeah it's like oh, I'm, yeah. Being, I'm not gonna pay a tax simply because i'm not or no, have no members and, in my family and, and, that's insane it, it is and 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 i hate the worst part about it is it implies that we're not already paying a war tax right no, you right. know and and that that that's what i think was i was most offended by it's pretty offensive. you know it's it was like, offensive. yeah because i was just like I don't, it's like, we should first give the veterans their medical right, I mean, services I think I regardless. Said, what in the actual fuck on yeah. Twitter when I read that? Yeah, like, exactly. I <laughs> right. I, you know, and, and it's like, dude, like, it, it just, it just drove me crazy. Yeah. It's like, you would be doing more help by actually calculating what the war tax actually is right but now. I, you know, what I guess it blows my mind though is some of these presidential candidates are so tone deaf to what's going on in the country. I mean, he, where were his aides not stopping him from saying, like, that's a really bad yeah, idea? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, a lot of these candidates get a bunch of yes people around them. Yeah, fair. And and they just like, oh, yeah, whatever you say. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're the guy right. that raised all this like, money. Yeah, oh, Delaney, you almost beat he, Ted Cruz. When I saw him get booed off the stage, oh, I was like, yeah. just doubled over laughing. I, I, I was happy to be in that room providing the booze. Oh, uh, yeah, I was there, too. Yeah, I was there. That yeah. was before we met. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was wild. It was great. I, I, I thought it was exactly the show where the establishment centrist Democrats are and that they and John Delaney is a perfect but it also showed him where the where the delegates were yeah everybody in that room has was a delegate or a press member absolutely and to have the delegates strongly booing I mean this wasn't just a boo this was like and yeah. Off yeah. Stage. Exactly. He did. He did. And 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 we're very used to that now. Ever since the last chair election, like we 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 infiltrated that room at least about forty five percent of the, the room. The progressives were definitely in the majority. Yeah, absolutely. Which is great. Yeah, absolutely. So we so we are we are really knocking out part, and that's why that's why Joe Biden was cowardly away from that. Yeah. Like every president. Yeah, he didn't candidate. show up because yeah. he, I think he realized that there was no benefit for him showing. No, up. because the California people. He was only going to lose. Uh, exactly. And, and that's already happening. Every time he opens his mouth, yeah. he sticks his foot in it. Exactly. So so you know John Delaney is someone who represents everything that people hate about Democrats. And this yeah, is what I, I say. I agree. Is because he thinks that he is the one with all the answers. It doesn't <laughs> matter what the people say. They can yell and scream at me all day. I'm the one that gets to choose yeah, what you Yeah, I agree with you. He has, and, it's like, no, buddy, you're a politician. You work for yeah, us. We don't work for exactly. you. Exactly. And and same thing with uh, with Frackenlooper. Frackenlooper. Yeah. <laughs> I call him that. Yeah, term. yeah, right. Where, where, where he's sitting there saying socialism and Medicare for all aren't the answers to our problems. It's like, we're going to boo you. And just because you say that doesn't mean anybody's going to just listen to what you got to say. It's like the, yeah. the, the, this top-down politics they is don't going down. That, yeah, they don't realize that that's not going to work. Anymore. No, it's not. And and it's like you're not you're nobody special. Nope. You're you're just some rich guy thinking that he has the you answers to us, all yeah, the problems. Exactly. And tell us know? what to do. Which is not and 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 that's why these people got to drop out, and the Democratic Party's yeah. got to go, get way more picky 
about who they're allowing to do these type of things, or at least at least pointing out their failures in, yeah. in a bit bigger way to show and distance themselves from these type of candidates, right? Where the party is like, mm, like no, like these people are are fundamentally against our platform. Well, Let but, me tell okay, you why. You, okay, you were there in the room. I mean, fun, talk about fundamentally against our platform. I didn't see. I was up under the podium during Bernie's speech, mm-hmm. so I couldn't see the video screens on the side, and I so I didn't know what was going on. And I remember getting back to the press area, and I heard the delegates angry and uh, yelling at Laura Larmendi about having ads and like Uber, and that. I was yeah. like, wait, what did I miss? Yeah, right. And John says he goes, they were running Uber ads on the side screen. Yeah, and I was like, are you kidding? Right, me? right. And 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 that and that is something. This is a company that's refusing to allow union unionization of their workforce. This is they are fundamentally not in step with the Democratic Party platform. Right. So why is the Democratic Party taking money for them? So I was glad to see these delegates pushing that. Oh yeah, and we're and we're. And we're she savvy. was like, I remember she said, uh, she Laura said something like to the effect of, well, you know, these conventions cost money. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't mean you take money from a corporate that doesn't jive with who we are or what yeah. our ideals are supposed to be. Absolutely. And Find somebody else. Exactly. And and they're just so wed to the money. Like, uh, uh, so yeah, they're so, so wed. They're so, so, so wed. So the numbers just... But did you see the ads? Were you... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was totally... I was totally against all of that. Like, it was just like the... the You know, my, my fiance, she's currently driving Lyft and Rideshare. And, and she is one of those people now who advocate... For rideshare workers, there's a uh, congressional uh, progressive that is going to be running soon, right. and she's running on so, a rideshare policy. Yeah. Like she wants to, to say unionize the workforce, to yeah. unionize and give protection, basic yeah. labor protection to the gig economy. And Lyft is better than oh, yeah. Uber is. Yeah, it is. Which is why I use Lyft, and I don't yeah. use Uber. Uh, yeah, but we, nonetheless, neither are, are entirely 100. Yeah. And and so to, to get back on the point of the corporations yeah. and the corporate money, yeah. like Susan Davis, uh, 98 percent of all of her donations were from from PAC money and from um uh large donors 1.3 percent of all of her donations were small that's it that's it that tells you where she's at exactly and and so you know but looking at her numbers i'm like she only raised like ninety six thousand dollars, and she spent 86 so she's spent she's a little on funds she she she, well she only got two hundred thousand dollars so i'm going to be using this as a plank and be like hey uh, out double Walmart's donation. So I'm going to start a strategy where, okay, Walmart gave her a thousand bucks. Give me $2,000 in small donations. You know, Honey, Honeywell International gave her $5,000, which is a huge defense contracting yeah, uh, company. Huge. You know, triple that, triple all of her de- defense budgets, uh, you know, for us. Like, let, let's show the people that we do not support that right. type of fundraising. And, you know, she, it, it is it is a complete disaster. And in fact, in San Diego, before the last chair, um, we had a, a Democratic Party, San Diego County Democratic Party convention. In the back, it was a full page color ad for SDG&E. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, my gosh, this is where our values are. Right. Yeah. And that's no, what, but that's what I don't understand. It's really not where our values are yet. The party seems to be tone deaf or not care. They, they, they just don't care. They just they, what they what they count on is that the voters just won't care enough to look it up. But that's not happening. No, anymore. it's not. So why? Because why candidates are, they, are screaming to the their to the, heads to the are really buried. In, I mean, Laura Lermini, like her response was just ridiculous, which wasn't oh, yeah. surprising. Absolutely. I mean, she had yelled at me in the freaking the 
did you, I don't know if you saw the video. She's like, you are out of order. I, was like, <laughs> I did not see that. I'm about to check that out. I was like, yeah, I am out of order. That's not the point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, we, we, we are getting loud. We're getting yeah. aggressive and and it's because of this civil war and you know a lot of democrats get very annoyed by the civil war but we're i'm not annoyed but, but i think it needed to happen i'm glad it it's does happening. and you know and you know the thing that the it's argument time. The, the, it's time it is time and the argument that's resonating with voters is like well we're having a civil war in a safe democratic blue district who cares because the difference between a Nancy Pelosi and a progressive is huge. It's huge. If you can't see the, how, and how you're gonna big get this one gap of them. is by now, yeah, and you're gonna I don't get know what to them. say. Exactly. And that's what people need to understand is like when you're in a safe 20 plus, 19 plus, even 10 plus D district, yeah. it is safe. Let the conversation happen. Well, that's exactly it. If you if you're so scared of centrism, send that incumbent to a district where you think that where it's, where it yeah. works. Yeah, I right? mean, because in my district, for example, we never have Republicans in the general. It's always right. like, in fact, this last election, instead of having two Democrats, we had the Green Party guy. Wow. Oh yeah, I think Ken I remember that. Mejia. Yeah. Mejia. Yeah, that's right. Um, and Jimmy Gomez. Like there was like. There was nothing. What it was safe. Like yeah, it's, either way, we're going to get a more progressive candidate. Exactly. But, but, you know, I got to say, Ken took a lot of the vote, and I was he surprised did. by that. They had a, uh, our revolution endorsed Ken. Yeah. Our local chapter. Yeah, that's great. They didn't, endorse, uh, they didn't endorse Jimmy, and Jimmy didn't show up to the debate right. downtown LA, which I thought was such a bad look. I went yeah. to cover it, and he never showed up. Yeah. I, and I was like, and it was, it was packed with constituents. There were, there were about 250 people there, so it wasn't like yeah. 30 people waiting right. around the room. Exactly. And he didn't show up. I, I, so, I should introduce you to uh, anyway. a friend of mine. Um, she Her name is Frances Yasmin, and she's actually going to be announcing soon against Jimmy Gomez. All right. So, well, so, wait, I think I've met her. Oh, have you? I do. Great. She's awesome. Short, dark hair? Yes. Yes, I know her. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to make sure let our let our listeners know where they can donate to your campaign yes. if they if they have to, after they hear the podcast they're on board with oh, the yes. heroes promise and all these things Absolutely. where can they go to donate uh, you can donate at our website at joseforcongress.us um, that's that's where you're going to be able to find it go and donate there also check out the heroes promise tell me what you think I I am I'm very excited about it and if you believe. That veterans and and active duty members deserve basic human protections that alleviate suicide. Donate money because right now we've gotten co-sponsors across the country already from candidates that are running against uh, and from all over the country that are progressive veterans as well as regular thought leaders in their communities supporting the Heroes Promise. In fact, I had uh, Brianna Wu, who's um, I can't, mm. in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. She actually called me and told me that she used the Heroes Promise nice. in a pitch against somebody who who was like for her for her opponent. And uh, I, think, I think she's running against Hoyer. Isn't that? No, no, she's not running against Hoyer. She's running against... I, I can't remember who she's running against. I can't remember against. either. But... but but she said that the supporter was for her incumbent opponent until she brought up the hero's promise because he was a vet, he was a veteran right. and she wasn't a veteran. But when she brought up the hero's promise, the hero's promise comes from my heart, which speaks to veterans and they, that person wants that she won that vote. So a lot of us are coming together around this policy. And if we get enough people to support the hero's promise around this country, our district has no choice but to elect, elect me yeah. because we they'll be waiting for me. 
right. and, and and as a leader. Yeah, in you, this community. The, there's a large chunk of the district district constituency that's definitely has to be military. Just oh yes. Location. Oh yes, absolutely. And like I said, one veteran on average kills himself in San Diego County of, of of the total twenty across the country. So so it's 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 a, it's a complete travesty, and and everybody should know somebody that was in the military. And even if they even if they perceive to say, oh yeah, it was a great experience, we raw da 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 they're in they're in pain. They're in suffering. Because I'll tell you something. In the military, to be weak is punished and to be strong is rewarded. So when you meet military veterans out in out in town, they're forcing themselves to be strong to man up, because so it is part of the complex of survival of PTSD. You know, so so every veteran is suffering. I would even say 95% of us come out with some form of PTSD. So so please follow me on Twitter as well. Yes, at what's your Jose, at Jose uh, Caballero SD um, and, and, and share it. Share the Hero's Promise. Get it out because I know that America is waiting for it. They really are. So donate to our campaign. And also on that note, I want to add that our campaign also take, took the Campaign uh, Workers Guild pledge, which is going to pay our workers at least fifteen dollars an hour. Oh, nice! And labor protection. Uh, so, so, oh, right so, on. so. Is that Bernie Sanders? Uh, uh, no, this is actually the Campaign Workers Guild. Uh, they're hey, the but ones is that put the, down. Or is that Laura Moser? Who set that up? I, can't, um, I don't. I know Bernie used it. Laura's using it now. But who's the? I well, I all I know is that the organization that did is the Campaign Workers Guild. Okay. So so I I, I that's a good question. You got me there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so a, a donation to our campaign also pays a living wage to a family knocking oh, on doors. Excellent. So so that's something that that's also very critical to. to have.